1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum ten dollars per order. Additional terms apply. HD
2: H D W O G L H D three Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution. This is is the next generation of talk. Now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli.
3: Well, things are heating up with Iran. The White House says we do not seek war with Iran. Iran says it wasn't us. But three soldiers were killed in this Iran-backed drone attack, as the White House calls it. And uh, 40 people hurt. So, yeah. We got that going for us, which is a nice way to start the week. Welcome to the show. Glad you're here. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Lindsey Graham is calling for us to bomb Iran. Of course, that's Lindsey Graham. And, you know, I'm, I mean, don't be surprised by that, of course. Actually got kind of funny watching the reactions that he's been getting on social media about this. Hit Iran. Hit them now. Hit them hard. And uh, a number of people have been commenting about, you know, can we can we cool it here? Is there anyone you don't want to bomb? But the problem here is that uh, we have a president who is facing disaster in re-election, and there is something about being a wartime president that seems to help and seems to give people a boost. Not the Ukraine-style war where we just fund you know, a corrupt country, but an actual war war. So the Pentagon says we do not seek war with Iran, but you obviously have a number of people Uh, in both parties right now who are banging the drums of war and the question of course will be where do we go from here Biden is threatening retaliation and he says (laughs) we will (laughs) respond how what will he do and then the question becomes how far do we go in all this so that's really the big story of the day today which is brought to you by Dr. Mike Venaria at Venaria Dental just Go to venereodentals.com and say hello and see him. And he's a great guy. And I don't know, really, I mean, where this goes. The, why, the Pentagon is still doing a briefing. They've been briefing now for quite some time regarding this. And, you know, the question of whether or not we have troops in Yemen and whether or not we're beefing up our presence there, all of these things are happening as we speak. And more than 40 were injured in a drone attack which is separate from the drone attack that killed three American service members. So that's apparently now the enemy drone's lethal attack on U.S. soldiers has been traced to confusion and failure to intercept. Iran fires back and says it wasn't us. the The story now, I, I guess, is that it was it was a. Kind of a friendly fire isn't the right word, but it was a it was an accident that occurred. The New York Post put this out just a short time ago in a um, an update. And apparently now, I guess it was. Oops, hang on. Apparently, it was a situation where it was not Iran, but it was. Although Israel now is coming out and saying it definitely was Iran. Sorry, all this is kind of breaking as we speak right now. But Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is warning America. Iran is targeting the U.S. and the rest of the West. And he's saying right now, you need to do something. Something needs to happen here. So that, that's happening, too. Like I said, a lot of this is just coming out as we're going on the air right now. Um, a lot of the details of this. But they're saying that the drone strike itself was, was not intentional. It was an accident of some sort or, or another, which, again, I, I don't really know how that happens uh, in this day and age. But but or if that's a cover story or if this is something that Iran is doing, because Iran is actually worried about the United States retaliating. But it says here now, according to the latest, Iran is claiming that accusations of its involvement in an attack that left three U.S. service members dead in Jordan are baseless. The Iranian foreign ministry spokesperson Nasser Kahani also claimed that resistance groups in the region do not take orders from Iran. Some Republicans have pressed Biden to authorize stronger action against Iran, with members of both parties concerned about the safety of U.S. troops overseas. Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas said in a blistering statement Sunday, quote, the only answer to these attacks must be devastating military retaliation against Iran's terrorist forces, both in Iran and across the Middle East. Anything less will confirm Joe Biden as a coward unworthy of being commander in chief. That's what Senator Tom Cotton put out a short time ago. On behalf of Arkansas, I extend my deepest condolences to the families of our brave warriors. The Islamic Resistance in Iraq, which is a loose coalition of Iran backed militant groups, is claiming responsibility for the deadly attack. Militant groups targeted the logistics support base located at Tower 22 of the Jordanian Defense Network. There are around 350 U.S. Army and U.S. Air Force personnel deployed at the base to counter ISIS. And this, this Iran backed coalition. The Islamic Resistance in Iraq. This is what this group is called. It is believed that the Islamic Revolutionary Guard, Kuds uh, Force, as they're known, played a role in organizing this loose coalition that was behind the drone the drone strikes that happened. But again, you know, as I, as I'm coming on the air right now, and there's a lot of breaking news around this. There's conflicting reports about what exactly occurred, and and whether or not what happened here was uh, was an accident or whether it was uh, deliberate. And, 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 and so we're just trying to get all these details out right now. But the one thing is very obvious. You are going to start hearing a lot of people calling for retaliation against Iran, especially now in the, in the wake of this latest drone strike where 40 people are injured, which as, as far as I can tell, these are separate incidents, but, um, it's a scary time. It is a scary time because number one, Biden's incompetent. Number two, Biden's losing. And whenever you have an incompetent loser as commander in chief and a party that certainly has always been a party of war, there's no doubt in my mind that we could see this escalate. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And, you know, this is coming as, as that U.N. aid agency, which we talked about on Friday with Dr. Victoria Coates, their members supplied Hamas with RPGs and took Israeli women hostage during the October 7th attacks, according to New Intelligence. And, that, and, and, and this U.N. aid agency apparently now is, is seeking more money This is the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, and they were involved in actual murder, wielding guns and killing people, according to this report that came out. So we are looking at some very, very tense moments in the Middle East. I got to say, you know, if Donald Trump was president, I think people would feel a lot calmer about the situation. And I certainly don't think we'd be here right now. I really don't. I don't think we'd be here in this moment. At least one of the U.S. soldiers killed in the Jordan drone strike was identified as a Georgia woman. Munchkin was her nickname, and she'll be missed. The three U.S. service members killed in the weekend drone attack in Jordan were identified on Monday and all came from the same military unit in Georgia. The dead were identified as Sergeant William Joan Rivers, 46, of Carrollton, Georgia, Specialist Kennedy Ladon Sanders, 24, of Waycross, Georgia, and Specialist Brianna Alexandria Moffat, 23, of Savannah, Georgia. And Sanders was the one who was known as Munchkin. Now, here's what Biden said in, reta- in, in response to this, saying that the United States of America will respond. He was down campaigning in South Carolina over the weekend. He said a lot of gibberish, obviously, but um, this is the main part. Cut number one.
4: Hey, uh, one last thing I want to point out. That we had a tough day. Last night in, in the Middle East, we lost three brave souls in an attack on yeah. uh, oh. one of our bases. And I ask you to hold silence with all three
5: of those false souls. And
6: we
4: shall respond. The
3: audio is not great, but we shall respond is what you heard the president say at the end there. We shall respond. Uh, How and what and what and then and then from 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 what position of uh, do we respond? Are we hitting Iran? Is this is this the start of World War Three? Are we going to go after this terrorist unit? I mean, what what exactly is going to happen here? How how are we going to respond? These are the questions that I think people would like to know. And as usual, the president is is missing. He's hiding, you know, he doesn't come out and, and say anything. He's, he speaks on the campaign show over the weekend in South Carolina, says that one little snippet and that's it. There's no Oval Office address. There's no, you know, you get a Pentagon spokesperson up there at the podium delivering the news and the details. You don't actually have a sense that anyone's really in charge here, which is, again, part of the problem. I mean, part of the problem is everybody gets very, very nervous about all this because we don't have a commander in chief that seems to know what the hell he's doing. And, and he's and he's losing, too. Enemy drones lethal attack on U.S. soldiers was traced to and this is the headline now that just came out here. I'm trying to try to read this headline to you. Traced to confusion and failure to intercept. All right. So that's the headline. Enemy drones lethal attack on U.S. soldiers traced to confusion and failure to intercept. And the story says that this Iran proxy drone got past Tower 22 air defenses because it was mistaken for a U.S. drone returning to base. Okay, so that's the confusion. I, was, I said before I wasn't sure if it was friendly fire or what. That was, that was the confusion. We thought it was one of ours. A U.S. official confirmed that the drone from an Iranian proxy that killed three American service members in Jordan and injured others got past the air defenses for Tower 22 because it was mistaken for a U.S. drone expected to return to the base at the same time. Now, this development was reported today. It's been confirmed by the United States. A U.S. official said... That the American drone and the attacking one were in the vicinity of one another. President Biden has vowed to take action against the Iranian-backed militants in the Middle East after the drone attack at Tower 22. At the top of the White House daily press briefing on Monday, National Security Spokesman John Kirby said Biden met twice with the national security team yesterday. And today he's weighing the options before him. And as he said yesterday, we will respond. We'll do that on our schedule. We'll do that in our time, he said. And we'll do it in a manner of the president's choosing as commander in chief. We'll also do it fully cognizant of the fact that these groups, backed by Tehran, have just taken the lives of American troops. The troops struck were conducting a vital mission in the region aimed at helping us work with partners to counter ISIS. Kirby said the mission has been longstanding and unrelated to our efforts to support Israel and to prevent a wider conflict in the region. We do not seek another war. We do not seek to escalate, but we will absolutely do what is required to protect ourselves to continue that mission and to respond appropriately to these attacks. It's interesting, though, that it's again, it's Kirby saying this, not the president. It's it's John Kirby. I mean, Kirby is the he's the only one that talks in this administration. Well, him and Kareem Jean-Pierre, obviously. A U.S. military official told Fox News that the eight service eight U.S. service members that were medically evacuated from Tower 22 in Jordan on Sunday were sent to the Baghdad Diplomatic Support Center for further medical support. Five of them were assessed for mild TBIs and have since returned to duty. Three of them will be sent to a medical facility in Germany. Kirby reiterated again, we are not looking for a war with Iran. We are not seeking a conflict with the regime in any military way. We're not, we're not looking to escalate here. The attack over the weekend was escalatory. Make no mistake about it. And requires a response. Make no mistake about that. I will not get ahead of the president's decision making. That's what he said. Now then Defense Secretary Lloyd, Lloyd Austin, who again was the guy that disappeared, remember, went to the hospital and didn't tell anybody. We didn't know that he was in the hospital. We didn't know that he was having emergency surgery. He addressed the attack when he returned to work at the Pentagon earlier on Monday. He said, Quote, let me start with my outrage and sorrow for the deaths of three brave U.S. troops in Jordan and for the other troops who were wounded. The president and I will not tolerate attacks on U.S. forces, and we will take all necessary attacks to defend the U.S. and our troops. He said he was meeting with the secretary general of NATO. Representative Mike Waltz of Florida, who's on the Armed Services Committee, and he said the following. He said that Iran has gotten the message loud and clear that they can get away with it. To that extent that we do respond, it will be feckless. I've talked to soldiers out in the field and to commanders that are out in the Middle East right now. We're bombing empty warehouses in the middle of the night so that the administration can check the box to look like they're doing something in response, but they're still beholden to this appeasement strategy when it comes to Iran. That's what uh, the congressman said just a few moments ago on Fox News. So all this is taking place in the backdrop of the presidential election with a president who is completely, completely um, underwater right now, completely underwater. Kirby also said that this is not a doctrine of appeasement. It's not how we see this. And he also said that uh, he, he won't say if Biden will attend the dignified transfer of the U.S. troops killed by the Iranian proxies. Nikki Haley came out and said a short time ago that we have to figure out which Iranian leaders are making the decisions and you take them out. So she's calling for the Iranian leaders to be taken out. I don't know if Donald Trump has said anything yet. But basically, this is what is happening right now as we speak and we'll, we'll grab some of the latest audio map there's a bunch of stuff on gravy that just came out a few moments ago if you want to grab that for us that would be great 855 is a number on twitter at rich zioli if you want to weigh in today what you think's going to happen i'll tell you one thing that i do know that's going to happen is uh we will have an election and we will the american people will have to make a choice here and who they trust with with these kind of things and, and as biden comes out and bumbles and stumbles over the weekend I just don't see the American people turning around and thinking to themselves that, that Biden has the ability to lead America right now in in the face of of all of this. Trump over the weekend said, "You know, if the U.S. ever got attacked, I don't think NATO would even help us." He was in Las Vegas and he was talking about you know putting aid. We'll play that in a short time for you as well. But I I, I do I do have to wonder how many people in the Republican Party are going to be calling for increased strikes now to retaliate against Iran, and obviously for Nikki Haley, I mean. We, we know Nikki Haley is of that wing of the party, and we, we know that. That's where, that's where her, her, her bones come from, you know, that part of the Republican Party that is really the part that would... I remember John McCain, you know, singing, bomb, 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 Iran. I remember, I remember that. And we are at 160 attacks and counting right now. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is urging Biden to respond to the deadly drone attack. And Biden is facing intense scrutiny. So you've got really both sides of the aisle right now who are saying that Biden needs to do something, something to make it very clear to Iran, don't do anything else. And then you have other people right now who are wondering, well, then what what exactly how exactly do we do that? I mean, when Trump took out Soleimani, there was a real question there of whether or not Iran would do anything. And they didn't. They did not respond. But now. Iran is rushing to come out and say that this was not them. They were not behind this because I think that they're, the the concern here is <clears throat> clearly escalation of this in the highest degree. By the way, n- not related to this, but just in looking at the situation of our own national security and our own southern border, Biden says he would he would sign an emergency bill to close the border an emergency bill to close the border. If he had to, if he if give and he would sign it on day one, he would close the border on day one. But he's holding Republicans feet to the fire on this and saying, I won't sign this unless you give me the money for Ukraine. So that's basically where things are on Capitol Hill right now. The president is now saying he would close the border, but he won't do it. He won't do it in, unless he comes out and says, you give me this authority and, and that authority that I need. I'm not going to do anything until you give it to me because it has to be tied to money to Ukraine. Former President President Trump reacted to the attack and blasted Biden over the weekend. He said the drone attack on a U.S. military installation in Jordan, killing three American service members and wounding many more marks a horrible day for America. My most profound sympathies go to the families of the brave service members we have lost. He continued by asking all Americans to join him in praying for those who were wounded and calling out the Biden administration. He said... This brazen attack on the United States is yet another horrific and tragic consequence of Joe Biden's weakness and surrender. Three years ago, Iran was weak, broke and totally under control. Thanks to my maximum pressure policy, the Iranian regime could barely scrape two dollars together to fund their terrorist proxies. Then Joe Biden came in and gave Iran billions of dollars, which the regime has used to spread bloodshed and carnage throughout the Middle East. This attack never would have happened if if I was president, not even a chance, just like the Iranian-backed Hamas attack on Israel would not have happened. The war in Ukraine would never have happened. We would not right now. And right now, we would have peace throughout the world. Instead, we are on the brink of World War III. So Trump has not called for, as far as I can tell, any, any actual... Authority. But Senator Tim Scott came out and said enough is enough. The Biden administration's appeasement of Iran must end. It's time for clear and decisive action. And Iran must be held accountable for the malign activities of its proxies. He said in a statement a short time ago. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, White House is demanding Speaker Johnson give Biden authority and funding to secure the border. But it has to be tied to all the other things that that Biden wants. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And the border will continue to be wide open. So Karine Jean-Pierre came out today and said, until recently, Speaker Mike Johnson advocated for HR2 because in his view, presidents needed new legal authorities in order to secure the border. You don't need a new legal authority to secure the border. You could just secure the border. You could secure the border tomorrow. You're the president. You have the military. You could use it. Not a posse comitatus argument. Just send the military down there to secure the border. Do it. Declare a national emergency. There you go. It gives you all the authority you need. You don't need a new law. This is, again, this is, this is the administration playing games. Playing games like, oh, if you don't give me money and a new law, I'm not going to do anything. You don't need new powers. You have all the powers you need as president right now. Declare that there's a national emergency at the border and then go down there and fix it. Biden doesn't want to. He doesn't want to because he wants funding for Ukraine. He wants this all tied together. And that's it. And he's he's not going to do a damn thing until he gets that money. Not a damn thing. But make no mistake, President Biden pledged on Friday to shut down the border. However, with the stroke of a pen, he could begin by restoring remain in Mexico. He could end catch and release. He could reform asylum and parole standards. His refusal places our national sovereignty at stake. And that was said over the weekend by uh, the speaker's spokesperson, Raj Shah. Yeah, you know, when Biden got in there, he undid all those things that Trump did. I mean, all those protections that Trump put in place, like return to Mexico, ending catch and release. All those things that Trump put in place, Biden got in there on day one and reversed all of them, all of them. So now we're talking about what's happening with the situation in Iran. The border is still wide open. You've got calls for escalation on both sides of the aisle right now. You have a political candidate, Nikki Haley, who's calling for decisive military action. You've got Democrats now who see this as maybe Joe Biden's way of appearing tough and appearing strong. And we don't know. Really, if this administration will do a damn thing against Iran, because at the end of the day, they're still controlled by the Obama administration. And don't forget, it was Obama who started all this by giving Iran billions of dollars years ago, and of course, pallets of cash that showed up in the middle of the night. And it was it was the Obama administration that also pushed for Biden to unfreeze six billion dollars in Iranian assets that we froze because Iran was was funding terrorists, and that money was going to be given back to Iran. And everything we're discussing right now about these Iranian backed groups, these Iranian backed terror groups is all directly linked to money that the United States of America has given them. So, you know, Biden, I mean, the Obama administration also tried to give Iran what it needed to create a nuclear reactor. So we'll have a lot to talk about throughout the afternoon. There's breaking news all over the place and lots of reports coming out about, you know, more attacks that are happening in the Middle East, more drone strikes. So we're all over it for you. And we shall see. But, yeah, Johnny Cook already saying if your talk radio, if if the drinking game today includes the words appeasement and feckless, tomorrow morning is going to be rough. Uh, We'll see what the retaliation will be, and um, we'll see where this goes. We'll see what happens now. Fly Eagles, Fly Bill says, if the Warhawks are going to get us involved in a war with Iran, let's be serious about it and level Tehran. Make it the largest parking lot in the Middle East. Let's see if the Haley faction of the Rhino Party has the cojones for that. Uh, we will see where this goes. 855 839 Coming up, I'll tell you what the Pentagon says, what John Kirby says, and the latest on these drone, stri- dr- drone strikes. 855 me. 1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. We're coming right back.
7: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
8: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
7: You have 47 new voicemails.
8: Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
9: All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? The Zioli Show
2: on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app.
3: By the way, in the middle of all of this, in the midst of all these drone strikes, Iran, the border being open, climate change is also uh, affecting the health of unborn babies. As a story that came out today, particularly in Australia, experts say, heat waves and cyclones are affecting the health of unborn babies in Australia. Our changing climate may compromise the health of our babies before they've even exited the womb. So, I guess on the one hand, they're acknowledging that they're babies, not just clumps of cells. There's that. But then on the other hand, they say there's growing evidence extreme temperatures and natural disasters are linked to premature births, stillbirths, and even abnormal gestational weight and size in many parts of the world. And with global temperatures on the up and natural disasters becoming more frequent, The World Health Organization says mothers and their babies are in danger. You know, at some point they would tie this to the children, right? Obviously. Now it's the unborn children. Climate change is a growing threat to maternal, newborn, and child health that can no longer be ignored, says the WHO. WHO? The World Health Organization. That's WHO. Inaction could mean we lose some of the hard won advances for maternal and newborn survival we've made in recent decades. But the capacity for expectant mothers particularly the most marginalized to shield themselves from environmental stressors is pretty limited. And considering Australia is one of the developed countries most vulnerable to the effects of climate change, experts say we need large scale interventions now. There are around 15 million preterm births around the world each year, but a hotter earth could, could mean even more. How? Why? Explain that to me. Researchers who studied almost a million mothers in New South Wales found a 16% higher risk of having a preterm birth for those living in the, in the top 5% hottest parts of the state. So then how, how is it that anybody's ever reproduced in a hot country ever? How is it, how has reproduction ever happened in, in hot places is what I want to know. I mean, some the, I mean, there are babies born during heat waves. There are people that get pregnant during heat waves. There are people that are born in places like, believe it or not, Florida and South America and Cuba, and then they become prime minister of Canada. So I'm just saying I don't understand how somebody can tie necessarily heat to to this, but they'll always find a way, of course. So in the middle of Iran drone strikes and the open border, we have that. Oh, and also on law and order, a white victim on law and order doesn't want to prosecute a black rapist. And, of course, the reason why is systemic racism. So I have that clip for you as well. But here's uh, some audio that just came out a short time ago. This is um, from the Pentagon here. This is, uh, first of all, Pentagon spokesperson Sabrina Singh saying that we will respond to Iran.
10: Cut number one. Sabrina, I just want to. Yes, the uh, conflict between Israel and Gaza is between Israel and Gaza right now. But that's not including what we're seeing happening across the border in the north with Hezbollah. That's not including what we've seen with the Houthis and, of course, what we're talking about now. So there is very much uh, concern or we have seen evidence of broader um, escalation well beyond Israel and Gaza. What do you say to Americans who see that and are just downright scared? No one is disputing the fact that tensions are high in the region. No one is disputing the fact that we are continuing to see the Houthis threaten commercial shipping, our own military ships that are in that region in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden. We are seeing skirmishes between Hezbollah and the IDF. But again, the conflict does remain contained to Gaza. And that's what our, our priority is, to keep it contained to Gaza. We do not want a regional conflict. We do not seek a wider war. Um And what we're seeing is proxy groups trying to take advantage of what's happening in israel and trying to expand it out to our forces and we don't want to see this widen out to a a broader conflict which is why you've seen the secretary surge assets to the region um you saw two uh carrier strike groups that were in the region just recently we still have one in the centcom uh area of responsibility um and the secretary again his main focus his priority is of course the protection of u.s forces and when appropriate we will respond Sabrina, thank you so much for having me, When appropriate, we
3: will respond, okay? How and what? What are we going to do? And, and, and where, where do we go Where do we go from here? These are the kind of questions, obviously, that people are asking right now. Uh, Kirby got into a back and forth. Was this with Jackie Heinrich, uh, Matt DeSantis, this back and forth with Kirby at, the pe- at this briefing today? Uh, I'm actually not sure. I haven't listened to
8: it yet. Okay. Oh, wait, you know what? It's, I think it's Kimberly Halkett from Al Jazeera.
3: Okay. Uh, take a listen to this. You said that the president,
0: in his response, has authorization under Article 2. Does that mean that he's planning to bypass Congress in any matter of war in terms of this response? I'm not going to get ahead of
11: his decision-making. Um, he has the authority under Article Ter- Ar- Article 2 as commander-in-chief. And as we have in the past, so we will in the future appropriately inform uh, leaders in Congress about what we're doing in-, in keeping with that authority.
0: Okay, so I just want to follow up because the president was sent a letter... On Friday, from a bipartisan group of lawmakers, and he had been accused of unauthorized strikes against the Houthis by bypassing Congress. It, they said no president, regardless of political party, has the constitutional authority to bypass Congress on matters of war. Do you think that that would apply here, given this escalation? We're not at war with the Houthis. We're not going to be. A, we're not
11: looking for a war with Iran president is comfortable that he has the appropriate legal authorities to act in self defense of our ships our sailors and our troops and our facilities at sea or ashore right
0: isn't it time to involve the american people i mean given the fact that the american people were not happy about i mean
11: all i suspect totally- the american people are not happy about attacks on commercial shipping in the red sea i also suspect they're not happy about seeing american troops killed uh, at a base in jordan the president has the authority to defend those troops and those facilities, you know, and
0: he'll the do that. He's weighing all of his options. This is an election year. Is the president looking at his polling when he's weighing all of these options? Is the president looking Man, at what? My goodness, that's a heck of a question. He's not, not looking. Not ma'am, really. ma'am,
11: ma'am, let me just stop you right there. Let me finish my the commander-in-chief is not looking at polling or considering the electoral calendar he's when he's defending...
0: How they feel about the war on Gaza? <laughs>
11: Now, can I answer the question? He's not looking at political calculations or the polling or the electoral calendar as he works to protect our troops ashore and our ships at sea. And any suggestion to the contrary is offensive.
0: Is he looking at the polling with respect? To, does the American public want a broader Middle East conflict when he weighs his political decision-making? Ma'am, I've answered that question. Okay, let's go. You, you didn't answer that question. Is he weighing that?
11: He is not. Concerning himself uh, with the political calendar. The American
0: public have the opportunity to weigh in on whether they want to be in on the bombs that are going to question. be dropped. We're going to move on. Go ahead, Phil.
3: Now, the, it, it's a good question because obviously, it, don't we get a say as American, as the American people? I mean, this is why the Constitution gives Congress the ability to declare war, not the president. President's commander in chief. There's a War Powers Act, but something like this, if it's not an immediate response required, then don't. I mean, don't you ask Congress for some sort of authority? Don't you go to if if we're saying that we'll respond at a time and place of our choosing? This is not an immediate situation. We're not talking about an attack on the homeland or something that is in in the immediate. I mean, obviously, we know that if there's an ongoing attack, there's already going to be retaliation in in the middle of that. So I'm not talking about that. But if this is like if we're gonna do a revenge act, I think this is the point of the question, don't, don't the American people get a say here? And you would get a say through your elected representatives in Congress, which is why Congress declares war. Is are is there going to be a debate? Will there be any conversations about this? Where the hell is the commander in chief? Where is he hiding? Will he come out and say anything? And is he looking at his polling? You bet. Yeah, he absolutely is. And I think his polling numbers are disastrous and this is why I'm a little nervous right now because I think I think that there is something about being a wartime president that appeals to the Democrat Party. And they think to themselves, this may be our answer. This may be the magic bullet that we need. See, so yeah, I'm a little bit nervous about it. I'm not going to lie. Will Congress have a debate on this? Will there be any input from congressional leaders or is Biden just going to go it alone and just make up whatever decisions he, he makes? Uh Jackie Heinrich of Fox News pressed John Kirby. Again, it's like he's the president. I mean, we we don't the president doesn't do press conferences. The president doesn't say anything. So we got to go through Kirby on everything. So, we have to go through the Pentagon or the National Security Spokesperson John Kirby. Uh, and so when the American Press Corps has questions, they got to go through him. So Jackie Heinrich asked, the the, the point about the failed Iran strategy, obviously, what does Kirby say back? Take a listen
10: that don't didn't work. Does the president have any regret over not pushing, punching back harder in any of the prior responses that he's taken to these proxy attacks on U.S. forces? I would, uh,
11: uh, I think I would push back on the idea that we didn't push back harder, Uh, that we have taken significant action against uh, Iran economically. We have certainly taken some ad- additional and uh, more aggressive steps to go after these groups. Um, we're certainly taking aggressive action uh, against the Houthis to try to de- defend shipping in, in the Red Sea. I mean, this idea that somehow we've just, you know, whistled past the graveyard here and, and, and walked away from the challenge that Iran poses just isn't borne out by the facts.
0: It's clear, obviously, that don't. <sighs>
3: um, the other point, too, In this in this whole thing, as we're discussing now, what what and how the United States will retaliate since we are in a presidential election year, you know that there's going to be people that are jumping all over this to say we have to take some serious military action. Nikki Haley is going to be one of those people. And this is what Nikki Haley said a short time ago in regards to the Iranian drone strikes. Take a listen.
7: Scared of his own shadow.
4: That's a true. But what would that What would that mean in practice? When you say Biden, you say Biden didn't do something. What was that something that he should have? The been very
7: doing? first strike that hit. You punch and you punch back hard. What they should be doing is going after every ounce of production of those missiles, wherever those missiles are, you take that out. You does, keep doing. You take out the training sites. You go and you.
11: But does that risk escalating a war? These does, does that
7: mean striking
11: Iran directly?
7: It means striking the resources that are allowing them to hurt our troops. That's what you're doing. It's not they're going back after. The, your, they're it, backed by Iran. Iran absolutely. says that they're not declaring
0: the shots, but Iran's training them. They're providing intelligence. They're providing weapons. And this goes there back. There would be no Hamas without Iran, Hezbollah without Iran, or Houthis without Iran. But yes, striking you're going, Iran is a really big
7: escalation. And you no go after wherever those missiles are, the production, wherever it is in Iraq and Syria, you take that out. Wherever it is in Lebanon that they're doing that, you take that out. You go after the leaders making the decisions. It's not after Iran the country. It's after the people who are making these decisions. When Soleimani was, was assassinated. It sent a chill up their spine. They literally, it took their breath out. You have to be strategic. It's not starting war. It's actually preventing war. But do you think we can
4: accomplish that without escalating to the point of war? I mean, there are some people who who look at your uh, candidacy and say, She's very hawkish. She's very hawkish, and she could bring us to a
7: war. And why would I do that when my husband would be fighting in one? That's what you don't want. You actually prevent war. It's not being hawkish. What it is is it's being smart. The problem that we've had is that everybody waits for it to get bad before they do something about it. Where did this all start? None of this would have started had Biden not lifted the sanctions on Iran. You allowed millions, billions of dollars to go in from China importing their oil. And what did that do? That gave money to the proxy. to get these missiles to do these things to do the training to invade israel all of that happened because they got money and biden still to this second hasn't increased sanctions on iran that's lunacy because you're just continuing to pay them for trying to now kill our soldiers you there are things we can do that are not war But not having common sense, there's no excuse for that. And this is something where we've seen him do it with Iran. We saw him do it with Afghanistan. We're seeing him do it with Russia and Ukraine. You have to be tough.
3: Now, how tough, though, is my question. I mean, you know, because Lindsey Graham is saying we have to we have to we have to bomb. I mean, essentially, a bomb Iran. So how tough do we get? This is why I think in the presidential election. It's going to be interesting to watch how hawkish Nikki Haley gets. I I mean, I mean this because she, she, I think, will pick a lane that would be the more of the George Bush lane of the party, which I don't think most people want. I I really don't. And she brings up Soleimani, which is a good point, except it was Trump who ordered Soleimani to be killed. And Iran backed down after that. You know, Iran changed the, the, the course of the conversation leaving aside all that how hawkish does nikki haley get between now and then i mean she's trying to win well she's already said she's not going to win south carolina she's already telling everybody she's not going to win she's lowering the expectations in a big big way lowering the expectations in a big she knows she's not going to come close in south carolina she's going to get crushed in her home state she's going to get crushed in her home state and she's she's trying to now spin it backwards to say we don't have to win but he's got to do a little bit better than New Hampshire. That's the, the, the extent of what she said. I'll get into that in a little bit detail. But I, I do wonder, from a political perspective, just how hawkish Nikki Haley gets between now and then. Kirby was asked about the uh, the policy of appeasement on Iran. Again, you don't get the president answering these questions. You have John Kirby answering these questions. And this is what he said, cut number three.
5: Is The president's response to Republican critics who are of the mind that this attack was the result of perceived weakness. For instance, the chairman of the House uh, Armed Services Committee said that President Biden's fear
3: of escalation has morphed into a doctrine of appeasement.
11: They can speak for themselves. That's obviously not the way uh, we see this. Uh-
3: wouldn't the president, wouldn't this be a good time for the president to come out and say something? Say anything? Just just address the American people? Not Not at a campaign rally in South Carolina, but from the Oval Office, from the White House, go out and talk to the press corps. You know why he can't do it? Because he literally can't do it. I mean, he can't, he cannot do it. He can't go out there and take questions on his feet. Everything he says has to be scripted. This is the problem right now. You, you don't have the ability for the commander in chief to come out and reassure people. You don't have the ability for the commander in chief to come out and threaten Iran. There is no peace through strength because they don't think the guy's strong. And Where the hell is he? But they cannot have Biden come out. I mean, in, in a normal in a per, in a normal world, not a perfect world, but in a normal world, you're running for re-election. You're the commander in chief. You're coming out and you're talking about this. You're going right up to the White House podium. and You're pushing Kirby aside and you're and the press secretary side and you're doing the talking or you're bringing reporters into the Oval Office or you're addressing the nation from the Oval Office and saying, I want it to be very clear. Iran back down. But there's nothing, nothing. It's just Kirby. John Kirby. John Kirby is the president. I mean, let's be honest. He's the president right now. Because all they can do with Biden is just put words on a screen and then let him read them. And if they can't put words on a screen and Biden can't read them, then they're not going to do anything. That's just how it is. So no words on screen, no Biden. And they can't come up with the words fast enough here. And they also don't know what they're doing. So there's not like there's a strategy that they can even type up for him to read. And also, they, if there's any follow-up questions, Biden can't answer them. I mean, it's just a freaking mess. It really is. 855-839-1210. And Biden was bragging about his foreign policy credentials, bragging about them. So where is he? I mean, this is, again, campaign style stop in South Carolina. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, can you address this from the Oval Office? I'll play that when I get back. 855-839-1210. Do you think Nikki Haley is going to escalate? Do you think that we're going to hear more war, war talk from Republicans? What do you want to see happen here? Give me your take on this. Does the United States of America need to be more forceful with Iran? In your opinion, 855-839-1210 is the number. We will take your calls. We will chat about it. Do we need to be more aggressive with Iran? Is that what, what you're looking to see? And how hawkish do you think Nikki Haley will get in all this? We're coming right back.
2: Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHD and the Odyssey app.
3: The question is... How much of this is going to affect the race in 2024? How much of what's happening with Iran is going to affect the race? Uh, that's a question for you on the table today. 855 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Frank is in Burlington. Frank, how you doing?
12: Hey, Rich. Love your show. Always have. Thank um, you. I, you know, it's weird with... Uh, I'm not voting for Nikki Haley. I, I, I'm not, and uh, sometimes I, I I think she is a little bit too quick to the trigger. But I don't think what she said was necessarily wrong. I think Biden made a huge mistakes in trying to normalize relations with Iran. And then lifting the sanctions and and the idea that we're not allowed to, like, you know, attack missile sites that are just proxies for Iran is going to, like, escalate a war. I don't know what else we're supposed to do unless you just get out of the region, you know?
3: Yeah, that's I mean, that's the only other option, right? Because as long as we're there, we're going to keep getting we're going to keep getting attacks. No, no question about it. So, um, yeah, yeah, I look, I I, uh, how much do you think this is going to help or hurt Trump? And all this, in your opinion. I
12: I really don't think it would have any effect. Uh, I think uh, on foreign policy, Trump was really solid. He didn't get us into any new wars. And quite honestly, she would basically be saying, at at least with this region, saying the same thing as probably Trump would be saying. I I don't think it's going to have any effect, none. But uh, I just kind of felt bad because... You know, and everyone wants to look at her like, oh, she's the total warmonger. But this time, I think just in this situation, I, I think she was spot on. You know, that's all. <laughs>
3: Frank, thank you, buddy. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Eight five five eight three nine twelve ten. I I think, well, first of all, I mean, Trump's going to be the nominee, not Nikki Haley. I mean, she's already lowering expectations big time for South Carolina, which is her home state. But I think that this is going to help Trump just because Biden looks just so useless to not even come to the podium, to not even speak. And 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 they're lying too about well I mean they're lying about a ton of different things but Bill Malusian had a great point he said you know Kirby was asked a short time ago why does Biden need this executive authority on the border why do we need to pass a new border law why why and Kirby wouldn't answer that he just kind of hemmed and hawed and said he needs the authority he doesn't need the authority actually he already has the authority because the authority that he has was what Trump initiated that Biden took away. Meaning that Trump put in a state of emergency at the border, a national emergency existing at the border, and Biden took that away. So you could put that back. Biden did all the things he did on the border through executive actions on really day number one, ending catch and release, ending remain in Mexico. He got rid of those. He, he undid the state of a national emergency existing at the southern border. So he could put all those things back in. He doesn't need new power. He doesn't need another law. But he's telling everybody he does because he wants more money. All right. We got a lot more to chat about in the four o'clock hour, including uh, what's going to happen with regards to the 14th Amendment challenge before the court. This amazing op-ed that came out, which I got to share with you. And uh, in New Jersey, King Philip the Unaccountable, his wife Tammy, wants to be a a United States senator. And the governor's office is helping her with your taxpayer dollars to get there. Don't go away.
2: Rich Scioli, weekday afternoons 3-7, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. WPHT, WPHT, HD, HD3, Philadelphia, from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The Revolution. Yes. This, is this is the next generation of talk. Now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli.
3: Is social media an environmental toxin? Should it be banned for children? New York and Florida saying pretty much the same things. Really remarkable. Uh, the United States blaming Iranian proxies for Delhi drone strikes. And Taylor Swift playing a role in the 2024 presidential election. What's going on? Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. There's a conspiracy theory out there right now that um, MAGA, as it's known, you know, MAGA, the the Trump people, MAGA, that MAGA is out there suggesting that Biden's going to use Taylor Swift in the upcoming election. And that Biden's going to hang out with her and Biden's going to use Taylor Swift's popularity to help him get reelected. And uh, he's going to hang out with Taylor Swift at her big tour coming up and all these things. And The New York Times had a piece today, as a matter of fact. And it's so funny, my friend just sent this to me. Inside Biden's anti-Trump battle plan and where Taylor Swift fits in. Watching Donald Trump ascend, the newly energized Biden campaign is aiming to make the general election all about him. It's also hoping for some big endorsements. As former President Trump speeds toward the Republican nomination, President Biden is moving quickly to pump energy into his own reelection bid. And the question then, of course, is, well, wh- what role does Taylor Swift play? Biden aides are drafting a wish list of potential surrogates, including elected officials, social media influencers, and the endorsement of their wildest dreams, Taylor Swift. Quote, it's game on, the beginning of the general election said Representative Ann McLean Custer of New Hampshire. She's the chair of the New Democrat Coalition, a group of 97 centrist House Democrats. I don't believe there is such a thing as a centrist House Democrat, but I guess compared to the lunatics in the squad, maybe they're, they, they, they can appear centrist, I guess. In a race without historical parallel, a contest between two presidents, one of them facing 91 criminal charges, Mr. Biden is making an extraordinary gamble betting that Mr. Trump remains such an animating force in American life that the nation's current leader can turn the 2024 election into a referendum, not on himself, but on his predecessor. So Biden and his team, what they, what they obviously, they're, you know, Trump's a threat, Trump's Hitler, Trump's Mussolini, all those things. That's all they're going to say over and over again. Nothing about their own record. They'll scare everybody about abortion. That'll be the other big thing that they do. They, they won't talk about Biden's record at all. I mean, even over the weekend in South Carolina, Biden just attacked Trump. I mean, that's his Trump's, his, his some speech now, just attack Trump. And a buddy of mine the other night had a great question to ask. And the question is this, tell me what you like about Joe Biden without bringing up Trump's name, but tell me what you like about Biden and his policies without saying Donald Trump. Can you do that? Are you capable of doing that? Are you capable of, of doing that without saying Trump's name? Can you do it? And it's a great question. Most people cannot. Most people cannot do that. So now the other thing is that they're hoping that by having maybe the glow of Taylor Swift, it can help Joe Biden. So they're going to start using social media platform, TikTok and other places. They've hired hundreds of influencers, hundreds of influencers. And the campaign has begun discussions with celebrities, social media stars about promoting Mr. Biden on Instagram and TikTok. When Biden took a fundraising swing through Southern California in December, the campaign carved out time to meet with influencers to pitch them on posting pro-Biden content. There are also plans, first reported Sunday by NBC News, to hold a fundraiser with two Democrat former presidents, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. Well, obviously Barack Obama wants to be there since his wife, Michelle, may be taking over for Joe Biden. I know, Susie, that'll never happen. The biggest and most influential endorsement target is Taylor Swift. The 34-year-old pop sensation and NFL enthusiast who can move millions of supporters with an Instagram post or a mid-concert aside, she endorsed Biden in 2020, and last year, a single Instagram post led to 35,000 new voter registrations. Fundraising appeals from Taylor Swift could be worth millions of dollars for Mr. Biden. Gavin Newsom is begging Taylor Swift to become more involved. This is why I'm really disappointed the Kansas City Chiefs won, because we have to keep seeing her. But Newsom is begging Taylor Swift to become more involved in Biden's campaign. He said, Taylor Swift t- stands tall and unique, Newsom said. What she was able to accomplish just in getting young people activated to consider that they have a voice and they should have a choice in the next election, I think is profoundly powerful, said the California governor. Whoops, Not what that is right there. Some sort of weird FaceTime thing that just came up on my computer. The chat around Ms. Swift and the potential of reaching her 279 million Instagram followers reached such intensity that the Biden team urged applicants in a job posting for a social media position not to describe their Taylor Swift strategy. The campaign had enough suggestions already. One idea has been tossed around uh, sending the president to a stop on her big heiress tour that's coming up. Representative James Clyburn of South Carolina, a key Biden ally, said Democrats needed to press an affirmative case for the president, reminding voters that tangible changes to their lives are happening. But they're not doing any of those things because it's not true, actually. There are no tangible benefits to anything. So all they can do is just run against Trump and then hope they can get the magic of this. Now, the funny part about this is that already the media over the weekend was saying that there was a MAGA conspiracy theory that the Bidens were going to use Taylor Swift. And all over, the, all over the, uh, the Internet, you had stories like this from Rolling Stone, never, ever shy about writing things that are just completely fake. This was what Rolling Stone said over the weekend. Right-wingers say the Super Bowl is rigged so Taylor Swift can endorse Biden. No, really, that was one of the articles that came out over the weekend in Rolling Stone. So that's the other theory is that that MAGA is out there now coming up with these crazy theories about Taylor Swift because they they they're just, you know, coming latest wackadoodle MAGA, MAGA conspiracy theory, NFL rigged for Taylor Swift. You don't have to rig the NFL for Taylor Swift. The question is, what is Taylor Swift going to do when the Super Bowl is over? The Super Bowl is in February. It doesn't matter with the NFL wants more ratings as of Taylor Swift. That's one thing. But it has nothing to do with Joe Biden. Joe Biden's going to have to use Taylor Swift if he's going to use her. He's going to use Taylor Swift in the fall. He needs to. How Taylor Swift sent uh, the far right into a tailspin is one of the other stories. Taylor Swift versus MAGA? Trump toadies get mad and dumb. It's not It's not a conspiracy to suggest that Taylor Swift is going to play a role in this campaign. She, she endorsed in the uh, Tennessee Senate race several years ago after saying for a long time, She was never going to get involved in politics. And then she endorsed Biden in 2020. So, of course, she's going to get involved in politics. Of course she is. This story was from Yahoo News. Don't blame me. Taylor Swift's influence attracts conspiracy theories. A Fox News host suggested this week that Taylor Swift is a front for a covert political agenda, echoing disinformation that has percolated in right-wing circles for months, and in which experts say will likely get worse before the election. The Jesse Waters segment warning Swift could be a Pentagon asset offered the latest conspiracy theory exploiting the singer-songwriter's fame and her past support for Democrats such as Joe Biden. Attacks targeting Swift in recent months have ranged from personal barbs to accusations of witchcraft and speculation about her political involvement. What they said on that particular segment, have you ever wondered why or how she blew up like this? Well, around four years ago, The Pentagon Psychological Operations Unit floated turning Taylor Swift into an asset during a NATO meeting. It was a it was a clip of a 2019 summit by NATO's Cyber Defense Hub. But the videos only mention of swift comes during a presentation on how social influence could counter misinformation. When a researcher unaffiliated with NATO cited the singer as an example of a popular celebrity. As for this conspiracy theory, we're going to shake it off, said Pentagon Deputy Press Secretary Sabrina Singh. Well, then you just heard talking about Iran. But but understand, though, I mean, that this is exactly Biden's strategy. It is to get influencers and popular people like Taylor Swift to go out there on Instagram and to post stories and to encourage people to get involved. And it's not a conspiracy. This is what the Biden campaign is hoping for. This is what the Biden campaign is hoping is going to be their magic card. Get Taylor Swift involved in politics. Get Taylor Swift to come in and save Joe Biden. Now, I don't think I personally don't think that it's going to going to matter all that much. But what I do find funny is that the media won't take the time to actually look into things like polls and why the Biden campaign would be interested in using her. Daily Mail had this article, Taylor Swift could sway the 2024 election outcome. New poll finds a fifth of voters are likely to back the candidate endorsed by the singer. 18% of voters say they're more likely or significantly more likely to vote for a candidate endorsed by Taylor Swift. The election will see 8 million new voters in the U.S. electorate and a total of 41 million Gen Z voters, many of whom are influenced by celebrities. I'd like to ask the media a question. Are you digging in to just how much the Biden campaign is spending on all these influencers and then asking yourself the question of why? In a poll conducted by Redfield and Wilton Strategies for Newsweek, 18% of voters say they're more likely or significantly more likely to vote for a candidate endorsed by Taylor Swift. See, Jesse Waters' point was, you, you see these people who rise up very quickly, seemingly almost overnight, and become these sensations, and then they're used for purposes of political propaganda. And you could say, well, I mean, that's a conspiracy theory. That the, uh, the government in any way helped her rise up. But that's not the point. You're missing the point. The point is that when these people become influencers, the government jumps all over them. I mean, think about what her boyfriend, her fiance, Kelsey, he's out there doing what? COVID shot ads, right? So it's not a, it's not a conspiracy to suggest that the government is going to try to get into bed with these people. And it's not a conspiracy that the Biden campaign is going to try to get Taylor Swift to do what Taylor Swift did in 2020 when she tweeted out the following. After stoking the fires of white supremacy and racism, your entire presidency, you have the nerve to feign moral superiority before threatening violence. When the looting starts, the shooting starts, we will vote you out in November at real Donald Trump. So of course they're going to use her for this. Of course they are. Because they, they don't have anything else. Celebrity power in the elections has grown. Because celebrity power itself has grown. And in a world of in messages, it's the celebrity voices that easily resonate. Just ask yourself the question of, how do these celebrities gain such a platform? How do they gain such a voice? How do they gain such a voice? And then how is it that they always turn around And they use their powers to help the Democrats. Explain that to me. I mean, again, I'm trying to understand this, trying to figure it out, because I can't figure this out. It always just seems to be such a coincidence. Nikki Haley is downplaying her chances in South Carolina because she's going to get smoked in South Carolina. So she's downplaying it and lowering expectations. And this is what she said over the weekend. Cut number four.
7: Let me just... Make sure we get an answer, though, Ambassador Haley, because this is your home state. You were governor in the state of South Carolina. Do you need to win your home state in order to stay in this race? Is it do or die? I think I need to do better than I did in New Hampshire. So this is a building situation. It's not about which state you get, which state you don't. You need to actually. I think I I need to say you need to do better. But don't you need to win your home state to show that you can win a state, win your home state, and really put some delegates on the map for yourself? Well, we've got 17 delegates. He's got 32. I'd say that's pretty good to start. What I do think I need to do is I need to show that I'm building momentum. I need to show that I'm stronger in South Carolina than New Hampshire. Does that have to be a win? I don't think that necessarily has to be a win, but it certainly has to be better than what I did in New Hampshire, and it certainly has to be close. And so that's what we're focusing on. If we win, great. If not, we've got to show that we're continuing to narrow that margin along the way. So I hear To you- give people in Super Tuesday states a reason to know that they can continue to see and, and have us fight
3: on my mic was off thank you let's look at the latest polls coming out of south carolina shall we and then try to figure out whether or not nikki Haley has even a chance in 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 any way of having a strong showing in her home state see i actually think that she gets destroyed in south carolina and it's going to be very embarrassing for her but she'll still limp on she's still going to limp on in the general election because she's hoping that something will happen at the convention. That's, that's the goal here. That's what they're hoping for. So you look at South Carolina for Nikki Haley and you say, we don't have to win. We don't have to look, we don't have to win. We just have to, we just have to do better than we did in New Hampshire. Five thirty-eight. looking at the South Carolina polls right now gives a 62.5% edge to Donald Trump over Nikki Haley. He's at 62.5% Nikki Haley right now. Is at oh basically 28%. So he's got a double lead in her home state of South Carolina. He's at 62.5%. Haley's at 29.2%. And then she's going she's gonna use that as her argument to then limp on to Super Tuesday? Are you kidding me? That's gonna be that's gonna be the argument here. <laughs> okay. Right. Right. Yeah. But you see, the Republican establishment's backing her. Not the Republican spokesperson, Ronald McDaniel, but the establishment is still behind her. They're still funding all this. The money's still coming in for now. It may not. It may dry up. But at least as long as the money's coming in, she's going to stay in the race. But look at the look at that that disparity in this. And again, Republican primary voters don't lie. You know, lie, the voters will lie in the general election polls because they'll be embarrassed to say they're voting for Trump. So they'll come out and they'll they'll be skittish of poster calls and be like, oh, no, I'm voting for Biden. But they're, they're not going to. But in the primary and you're calling Republicans, they're proud of who they're voting for. They're proud to say who they're voting for. And Trump has a 63. It just went up, actually. Sixty three is is where he is. And Haley's at 20. It just went down for her. Twenty four point. I'm sorry. Twenty nine. So it's, it's, it's consistent. Trump's at sixty three. Haley's at twenty nine. 63, 29. That's where the latest is. That's that's the latest right now in South Carolina in her home state of South Carolina. So she's gonna get she's gonna get trounced. It's gonna be embarrassing for her. She should get out of the race. I mean, all she's doing is sucking up money, but I think that's part of the plan here. Remember, I told you, as long as they can think there's a chance something happens to Trump between now and the convention, they will keep her in the race. And they'll have their surrogates out there saying nonsense. Here's an example: Representative Barbara Comstack of Virginia. I just told you what the poll numbers are looking like in South Carolina. But Nikki Haley's team actually came out over the weekend. I kid you not said this on ABC News with Martha Raddatz. Cut number six.
11: I want to go back here to the election. You're supporting Nikki Haley. She's now looking towards her home state of South Carolina. But those numbers are are not great for her. You heard what Rick Klein said. Maybe she has a shot. What,
13: what are you looking at there? Well, look, she she should stay in and she's in there and she's joyful and she is campaigning hard. She's the only one now in there who's never lost a general election. And she's also um, she's you know, she's raised four million dollars, as he's pointed out. And, you know, the party is split half for Trump. He's obviously solidified that base, but he is the weak. You know, he's essentially an incumbent and he's performing under incumbent levels. And we know Donald Trump doesn't do well with uh, strong women. And this week we saw what happened with strong women. Nikki's looking like a winner and that frustrates him. (laughs) And he was not doing well. You know, he was petty, he was small, and then he ended the week losing, you know, $83 million in his lawsuit. And now you go forward over the next month with Judge Chuck and with Latisha James. He's got a lot of women coming forward in the next month. (laughs)
3: Uh, she's also has real problems on Super Tuesday. Thanks for this, Matt. California, for example, turns into a winner-take-all primary if one candidate exceeds 50% of the votes. Trump is uh, right now over 60% in California, which means she gets zero delegates. Her whole strategy was to go into Super Tuesday, go into Super Tuesday, and hope that where they have these open primary states, she can get Democrats to vote for her. That's her entire strategy. And it's not going to work for her. It's a disaster in the making. But yeah, they're out there saying she she should stay in. Salon.com. Republican dudes are big mad at Taylor Swift for reminding them that the ladies don't like them. Taylor Swift's person of the year nod spawns new Republican conspiracy theory. This is MSNBC. The New Republic. Republicans are once again being very weird about Taylor Swift. There's nothing to be weird about. This isn't a conspiracy. They are using Taylor Swift. To help Joe Biden. What is the the big conspiracy? I just read you the article from the far right wing New York Times. Taylor Swift is going to play a role in the 2024 election. Where is the big conspiracy theory here? Now as to whether or not the NFL is rigged to help Taylor Swift. That's probably just stupid. But it is an idea that no doubt about it. Taylor Swift. Wait, what do you have now? Oh, yeah, you have. Okay, well, that's a great example. Yeah, an, uh, an influencer. Who is proposition propositioned to push the merits of the Biden economy. Biden packs have been paying the, uh, these TikTok influencers to push Biden's messaging. But TikTok's official policy is to ban political ads. Here is uh, one of these influencers. Take a listen.
5: Not a very interesting email. So for those of you who don't know, I am a critic of the current economy. And recently I've been posting my thoughts on the economy. And, you know, obviously it's not good. I'm not saying it's Trump's fault. I'm not saying it's Biden's fault. I'm not saying it's anyone's fault. But obviously Biden is president and the economy sucks. So, you know, naturally the blame lies on him. And some of these videos of me being extremely critical of the government have gone so viral that I was literally featured at 7 p.m. on primetime on Fox News the other night. And this morning I got an email from someone claiming to be from the Democratic Party. And they said, what would your rate be to post positive videos about Joe Biden? And I replied back, honestly, I know nothing about the economy. I don't pretend to know anything about the economy. And I know nothing about politics and I'd rather stay out of it. After all, I'm just a normal guy. I'm not a politician. I'm not a conservative or a liberal talking point. I'm just a normal person. So they responded back. We understand you're not a fan of the Democrat party right now. How much would it cost? I was like, you know what? I wonder how bad they want me to post this. 50 grand. And they said yes.
3: 50 grand they'll pay an influencer now where'd you find that out of curiosity that's all over tiktok
14: it was on my tiktok feed and i thought it was interesting
3: it's very interesting thank you for sending it over 50 grand and they would pay him to be an influencer 50 grand one of biden's back packs right
14: yeah supposedly yeah uh,
8: and uh politico i know had a big piece last week saying that uh, Priorities USA, which is a pro Obama pack, had been paying TikTok influencers to post pro uh, Biden videos. Now, technically speaking, TikTok is supposed to ban political ads on their platform, but and they have blocked a few of these, but the vast majority of them uh, have been going through, and uh, and who knows how many young voters they're influencing.
3: Now, the question really is, who matters more? Taylor Swift or Snoop Dogg?
8: <laughs> Probably Taylor Swift, but Snoop Dogg
3: came out this. and said he's got nothing but love and respect for Trump. <laughs> nothing but love and respect for Trump. I would I would trust Snoop Dogg over Taylor Swift in a heartbeat. Taylor Swift to me is artificial intelligence created as a, in a psyop to influence things. Snoop Dogg is the real deal. Cuz he comes from the 90s before artificial intelligence. He had to cut his teeth <laughs> on the streets of Compton. He was not created in a lab. Like Taylor Swift is a lab creation. You know what I mean?
14: What about the small town girl from Why I'm Missing, Pennsylvania?
3: That's exactly it. You take her and you you you. it's a psyop to make her as powerful and influential as she is. And then you turn her around and you use her for all your bidding. <laughs> but you can't do that with Snoop Dogg because he was drinking 40s on the streets of Compton. It's quite a hanging turnaround. Hanging with Dr. Dre.
8: It's quite a turnaround for Snoop Dogg because remember he made that um, that music video during Trump's administration where he had someone dress up like donald trump and then shot him or pretended to shoot him. i thought right. that was donald glover no that was that was snoop dogg
3: well here's what he said he said donald trump he ain't done nothing wrong to me he has done only great things for me he pardoned michael harris so i have nothing but love and respect for donald trump but you see the difference between snoop dogg and taylor swift you could not you could never fake snoop dogg he, I mean, his record label, Death Row Records, he came from the streets. He's going to have more influence on the black community than Taylor Swift will, don't you think?
8: I don't know. How much, realistically, how much influence does Snoop Dogg have in 2024?
3: I'm, I, I would vote for Trump because of Snoop Dogg. It's the only <laughs> reason I would. That's it. Snoop Dogg made headlines in 2017 when he released a music video for a song named Lavender, which he shot a clown dressed as Trump in the head with a toy gun. Billboard reported him saying the whole world is clowning around, enlisting gripes with Trump and the treatment of minorities by the criminal justice system. Trump fired back after the music video came out, posting a tweet from the official account of the president that said, Can you imagine what the outcry would be if Snoop Dogg's failing career and all had aimed and fired the gun at President Obama jail time? Among other instances of animosity between the pair included Snoop Dogg posting a video to social media of himself in 2018 smoking what appeared to be a blunt outside the white house and saying f trump but Snoop Dogg misses the trump economy because he's been trolling joe biden who may be headed toward a rematch of 2020 blah 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 um, he said um he did a, a thing he posted on instagram in 2022 showing the image of a strain of weed and he called that strain of weed sleepy joe og <laughs> now that's brilliant that's brilliant But you see, if Taylor Swift is a psyop, Snoop Dogg is as real as it gets. You know what I mean?
8: I mean, I do like Snoop Dogg more than Taylor Swift.
3: Of course, because he's a real guy who wasn't created in a lab by the CIA.
14: I'm not buying that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not the biggest Taylor Swift fan either here, but I'm not buying the psyop thing. I'm just not.
3: All right. Well, I'm telling you this. At some point in the future, we will have psyop created lab created people like Taylor oh, Swift.
14: no i think there are i just don't think they're as commercially successful as she is
3: i mean people actually do like her it's probably why she's influential yeah but but it's okay fine maybe she's not a cia psyop but can we all agree snoop dogg is is real as real as it gets snoop dogg is better than taylor swift we can all agree to that he was on the streets of compton in the 90s
14: Sipping on gin and juice,
3: sipping on gin and juice, where Taylor was just being thought up by some CIA guys for the first time. So I'm just saying the other part, too, is that whether or not she's really a CIA psyop or not, she does have massive influence with young people. And 100 percent, the Biden campaign is going to use her in 2024 because the far right wing New York Times did the story on this. It's not a conspiracy theory inside Biden's anti-Trump battle plan and where Taylor Swift fits in. And that is the big story of the day today brought to you by Dr. Mike Venaria, dot dental.com V a N a R I a venaria dental.com. Coming right back.
2: The only show on your schedule from talk radio, 1210 WPHT in the free odyssey app.
3: Dude, there's a uh, there's nice breaking trees, news story. CDs, I want to thank my friends CDs, of the CDs, PA CDs, family CDs, policy Institute for sending this over the, uh, Uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court just ruled on a big case uh, regarding abortion, and it was a case that had been, I guess, in the making now for about five years or so. It was uh, the Allegheny Reproductive Health Center versus the PA Department of Human Services. The case was initiated five years ago uh, by pro-abortion groups seeking to mandate taxpayer funding of elective abortions. The plaintiffs also asked the court to invent a new constitutional right to eliminate existing longstanding limits on abortion in Pennsylvania. The good news is that the abortion industry failed to receive a majority of the court ruling to invent a right to an abortion in the state constitution. Said Jeremy Samick, the senior counsel for Pennsylvania family Institute. The bad news is three justices overruled the longstanding state law upheld by seven members of the PA Supreme court nearly 40 years ago that prevents taxpayer funding of elective abortions two female justices dissented justice sally updike mundy and chief justice deborah todd two of the justices christina donahue and david wecht agree with the abortion industry's request to declare a fundamental right to reproductive autonomy something not found in the pennsylvania constitution said michael gear president of the pennsylvania family institute Creating such a sweeping right would have severe implications, including allowing unfettered abortion until birth. Thankfully, this did not gain support from other members of the court. The case is not over. It now goes back to the Commonwealth Court, where the law can still be upheld based on the substantial interest the state has in its decision to choose not to use taxpayer funds for abortion. The majority overrules unanimous precedent on this politically sensitive topic which is best resolved by the political branches, wrote Pennsylvania Supreme Court Justice Sally Updike Mundy in her dissenting opinion. The majority overrules unanimous precedent on this politically sensitive topic, which is best resolved by the political branches, meaning the legislature. In her dissent, Justice Mundy highlights how the majority's decision gives little weight to the monumental impact the abortion decision has for the unborn child, either lives or dies depending on the mother's choice it is worth noting that in their 219 page opinion the lead justices do not once concede the lives of the unborn child have inherent value or that a choice to abort them necessarily involves their involuntarily violent destruction writes justice Mundy. instead they invoke euphemisms drawn from political ideology such as reproductive autonomy procreative choice and control of one's body without acknowledging there is another body in the equation that the legislature may validly consider or that adoption exists as an option for a pregnant woman to avoid expanding her family. If she so chooses. Certainly our families benefited from two pregnant women deciding to use adoption as a way to, help other families grow their families. We're totally grateful to them for that. So that case just came out a short time ago. All right. Now the, the other, the other story, th- there's a lot going on here, but I want I just want to focus on, we're gonna have a guest about Canada coming up a little bit later in the show, but you know, Jordan Peterson is one of my favorite, favorite outspoken guys out there. And I think he's brilliant. I think he says things that should not be considered controversial like a man is a man and a woman is a woman. But, you know, for those reasons, he's been canceled. And Canada has been trying to cancel Dr. Jordan Peterson for years now. First of all, you remember what little Justin Trudeau did in, when the truckers tried to defy his use of COVID emergency powers? And the, he, he went in there and he stole their money. So he debanked them. Saturday Night Live over the weekend was mocking Trump for saying that you'll get debanked and they colin uh, jost who is um, the husband of black widow from the avengers movies anyway colin was making a joke about debanked and it's not a it's 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 a real thing debanked when they take away your money when they literally go in and seize your money or they force you into a digital currency system which then they can control and that's what they try to do in canada Now, the court overruled that, but the government says it's going to appeal, of course, and use taxpayer dollars to appeal that decision. As a clinical psychologist and University of Toronto professor emeritus, Jordan Peterson can attest that doesn't age well for Canada's forgotten man. If not for the wide latitude the high court has given the administrative state across Canada, an Ontario regulator would have the power it's now using to punish Jordan Peterson for his political beliefs, would not have the power. As Bruce Party, executive director of the Toronto-based Rights Probe, and a professor at Queen's University in Kingston explained in an August op-ed for the National Post, judicial deference grants control not to a monarch, but to a professional managerial class. That broad definition in the hands of administrative bodies has become the foundation of our modern system of government. The Peterson case is only the latest example of creeping Canadian authoritarianism. Mr. Peterson hasn't seen patients since 2017. He makes a living as a speaker, as an author, and a podcaster. He calls himself an online educator. He has 5 million followers on Twitter. He is, in a word, influential. He's also controversial in that he bucks the academy. According to Ontario court documents, he's been the subject of complaints since 2018 about his public statements on topics of social and political interest, including transgender questions, racism, overpopulation, and the response to COVID-19, among others. The complainers, none of whom ever seem to have been his patients, mainly tweeted their objections to his provincial licensing board, known as the College of Psychologists of Ontario. Now, this is important to note here because there is a growing trend across the world to criminalize speech. It's happening in the United Kingdom, it's happening in Canada, and they want to bring it to America as well where they want to punish people for their thoughts. Now, we've already seen the Biden administration do this during COVID. The whole case, Missouri v. Biden, which is all about that. It's all about the government, the unholy triad of the government, big tech and corporate media, controlling what people can say. Well, in Canada, it's even worse. But that is what that's, this is where we're headed. We're headed this way. This board, the College of Psychologists of Ontario, their job is to regulate for competence, not for political views. Nevertheless, it assigned a committee to investigate the complaints. In March of 2020, the committee recommended no action, though it said Professor Peterson's manner and tone were of concern. The griping continued. In August 2022, the board wrote to Jordan Peterson on behalf of its panel of investigators about his demeaning, degrading and unprofessional public statements and the harm they could cause people. He could solve the problem, the bureaucrat said, if he would agree to attend a re-education camp of its choosing. Mr. Peterson declined the offer, though he wrote in a letter to the board that he had turned to people in his life he trusts for advice and counseling. The board said failure to be re-educated may constitute professional misconduct. This is all the more surprising because there was no disciplinary hearing, a necessary step in a judgment of misconduct. So he took the board to the Ontario Divisional Court, which ruled against him in August. Earlier this month, the Ontario Court of Appeals said it wouldn't hear his case. That's the end of his legal road. Either he agrees to provincial rehabilitation or he would lose his credentials. Now, think about that, right? This is the government turning around and saying, we don't like what you think. We don't like what you say. We're going to punish you by taking away your license to be a psychologist. Did you see that happening in America? Absolutely. Of course. 100%. It's hard to escape the conclusion that it's Jordan Peterson's worldview, his political takes, not his delivery that has gotten him into trouble with the authorities. After all, online snark isn't yet a crime in Canada. Court documents cite instances of name calling politicians and his refusal to use pronouns other than those that correspond to biological sex. In May of 2022, court documents say, quote, he commented on a Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition cover with a plus-sized model tweeting, quote, the following, Sorry, not beautiful, and no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that, end quote. Actually, I actually remember arguing with Johnny Cook on Twitter about that at the time, because I retweeted what Jordan Peterson said about that. And Johnny said, you know, these modern women, they're all too skinny. It's not the, uh, the real classical form of beauty. So we had a little back and forth on that. But the point is, you can't be critical of a plus Sized model. You certainly can't be critical of a transgender model, you know, a dude in a bathing suit like Sports Illustrated did. In his willingness to fight back, Jordan Peterson may be an outlier. Many Canadians undoubtedly prefer self censorship to the risk of getting crosswise with the Red Guard or being reported to human resources. Tell me that that's not the case, though, in America when it comes to being afraid that you'll say the wrong thing at work because you've had to sit through all these diversity trainings and DEI trainings and everything. And so you're afraid to say what you think. Or how many people just self-censor themselves because they don't want to hear the outrage mob come after them, so they don't post their views on Facebook or social media of any kind. They just don't want to deal with it. It isn't necessary. That's why I always tell people, you, you can't judge a place by the number of hate has no home here signs on the lawn, because the people that will put the signs up that say hate has no home here won't get any blowback. But the people that put a sign up that says love lives here, love of the constitution, love of liberty, all those things. They will get blowback. You know, you fly a Betsy Ross flag, you'll get blowback. You fly a pride flag, you will not. That's the difference. So you can't really make judgments based on what you see and think that it speaks for a majority because you'll drive through a neighborhood and you'll see a, a pride flag, but you won't see, for example, a Betsy Ross flag or an NRA flag or something else. A lot of people just don't want to deal with the blowback they'll get. And people on the right don't don't give grief to people who post opinions that are controversial on the left, whereas the left will turn around and try to get people canceled. And this is the problem. I mean, in, in Canada, what they refuse to actually credential Trinity Western University Law School because the universe, university makes students take a vow not to engage in sex outside marriage. This would seem to be a matter of religious freedom, but the court said the regulator was acting in the public interest. As uh, the Wall Street Journal opinion writer put it, a court that cancels liberty has lost its way and the nation can't be far behind. Now, Matt as we've talked before about the University of Penn professor, Amy Wex, who is also facing a similar fate as Jordan Peterson. Because she has been sued by the well, she's suing them because they tried to get, cancel her from the faculty at Penn Law School for some of her statements about race that the university finds to be controversial. So even though she's argued cases before the US Supreme Court, the one between her and her employer is the biggest one of her life. It's a disciplinary case to test the bounds of academic freedom and projections for academics from being punished for their discourse in public and the classroom. So last year law school dean Theodore Ruger this is why when when the president of Penn Step down, I had no sympathy for them because they are not a pro-free-speech university. They cancel people all the time. And that's what happens. And Professor Wex is a great example of this. So he initiated disciplinary proceedings against the professor, saying she invited a white supremacist to lecture to her class and that she made inflammatory comments, such as blacks have different IQs than other races, according to a complaint that he filed with the university. Nine months later, the faculty Senate, still weighing actions against the professor, which could be stripped of tenure or fired. She says that she and the school are still negotiating the hearing's ground rules. She filed a grievance against the school, and she argues that the president of the law school abused his power and punished her for freely expressing herself and says her case should be handled by bodies outside the faculty senate because academic freedom is at issue for the grievance. The last time the university fired a tenured professor, was a guy who admitted to killing his wife. So in other words, what what you see happening uh, quite a bit these days is you see universities cracking down on freedom of thought, freedom of expression. We see that all the time. I mean, there's stories after stories about that that come up every single day. These places are not the bastions of free speech in any way, shape, or form. They are the places where free speech goes to die. And, and, and there have been so many stories about that recently. And then you also have idiot opinions that come out. Like if the Supreme Court wants to prove they're originalist, they will bar Donald Trump from being on the ballot. I'll share that with you as well as the show progresses. Eight five five eight three nine twelve ten is the number. Another reason why Nikki Haley is a total fraud, total fraud, and is just the worst. In the E. Jean Carroll case against Trump, she defended the jury. I'll share that with you upon my return. You don't want to miss that. But there are great things happening at Cherry Hill Volvo right now. Great things. And I'm so excited about our continued partnership with them as they are open during their big renovation. And there is a sensational sale happening at Cherry Hill Volvo right now. How about a beautiful S60 courtesy Volvo for less than $29,000? It's an incredible opportunity to experience luxury for less. These are courtesy S60s with less than 5,000 miles. They are selling right now for less than 29 grand. There are a limited number available. So don't wait on this one. Right now, Cherry Hill Volvo is undergoing a massive renovation to their dealership in order to serve you even better. They are open. They have ample inventory and they're ready to meet you today. So why not start the year off with a luxury vehicle you deserve, a Volvo from Cherry Hill Volvo. It's a great time to visit with many incredible incentives available. Hurry to Cherry Hill Volvo to get a courtesy S60 Volvo for less than $29,000. Cherry Hill Volvo is the most accessible Volvo dealer at a Philly and South Jersey right across the bridge. And Judith Yosef and the entire team would love to see you. And and, and the the S-Class, these are gorgeous cars. They're made right in South Carolina at their big plant down there employing thousands of Americans. And you're going to love driving them because they're fast, amazing technology, and you'll love the experience at Cherry Hill Volvo. And to get an S60 for less than twenty nine grand with less than 5,000 miles on it? Come on, this is a no-brainer. So what are you waiting for? Go there today. Cherry Hill Volvo on Route 70 in Cherry Hill is where relationships matter.
2: Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app.
3: Now, if you are a professor, though, who gets it wrong, but you say what the intelligentsia wants you to say, well, then you're fine. I'll give you an example of this. And we'll talk to Phil Kerpen in a little bit. He tweeted this out. So there is this uh, professor in Scotland. Uh, her name is Nicola Sturgeon. And uh, I'm sorry. The, well, Nicola Sturgeon is the, is the Scottish First Minister. The, the professor who influenced the, uh, the Scottish First Minister says, I was wrong to push for zero COVID. Professor Sridhar was an advocate of zero COVID. Now admits that she was wrong. So Professor Devi Shridhar was a vocal advocate of zero COVID. Now, that's the controversial view that it was possible to eradicate the virus by adopting draconian measures such as quarantining people when crossing the Scottish border. The COVID inquiry last week heard that Professor Shridhar regularly sent them the first sent the first minister messages on Twitter where she appeared to push for the strategy to be adopted in one message in June 2020. She told the the Scottish minister that she had been working on a feasible plan for the elimination of the virus, and it would have been draconian. Draconian. She now admits that she was wrong to advocate for this. She said she regrets using the the phrase zero COVID and that her aim was to limit the number of infections. This was a mistake I made using the word elimination, adding that maximum suppression would have been a more appropriate. Phrase. Other experts who spoke at the inquiry stated that the Scottish government's refusal to accept that COVID was here to stay led to a much slower release of social restrictions than was necessary. Scotland eased restrictions several weeks after England. Professor Mark Woolhouse, an epidemiologist at the University of Edinburgh, Edinburgh and a UK scientific advisor during the pandemic, said Scottish ministers were preoccupied with appearing more cautious than their English counterparts. This segwayed into the idea that we could somehow end up in zero COVID. To me, this was not consistent with the evidence. But remember, if you advocate things like that as a professor, you won't get in trouble. If you come out and you say the wrong things like Jordan Peterson, if you don't say what, what the cool kids table wants you to say, they'll try to get rid of you. If you're Amy Wax and you say things that are controversial, they'll try to get rid of you. It's the same thing with climate change, too. If you're a professor who argues that climate change is not man-made, Or that the climate change is not real or that the climate is changing in the other direction, that we're advancing towards an ice age, which some scientists have actually posited. Well, then, yeah, you'll also lose your job and you'll lose funding and you'll be out. See, higher education is not about having freedom of thought and debate and expression and all the other things. No, it's about indoctrination. Always has been. And they want the faculty to be homogenous in their thinking. So the students are all homogenous in their thinking. And that's how they want it to be. Here is uh, Donald Trump responding about NATO. He was asked if the United States would ever be helped if we got attacked. It's very good to think about as we're talking more and more about escalation potentially right now in Iran. Cut 16. Ukraine's
4: an interesting case. People always want to know my feeling. Number one, we're in for 200 billion plus and the European nations are in for 20 billion and it's more important for them. And don't you think they should equalize? Nobody asks them, it's like I did with NATO. I said, we're spending, we're we're paying for NATO, and we don't get so much out of it. And you know, I hate to tell you this about NATO. If we ever needed their help, let's say we were attacked, I don't believe they'd be there. I don't believe, I know the people, I know them. I can tell you country by country who would be there and who, but I don't believe they'd be there. He's not wrong.
3: 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Big 5 o'clock hour coming up. The latest on Iran. And a question is, should children under 16 be banned from using social media? It's a question I want to ask you if you are a parent. As New York City declares social media to be an environmental toxin, don't go away.
2: Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons 3-7. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT. And on the free Odyssey app. WPHD WPHD HD, hd H-T-3, Philadelphia From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios Where relationships matter Always live on the free Odyssey app The revolution will be broadcast yes.
6: This
2: is the next generation of talk Now, this is the drive at 5 30 minutes of non-stop talk With Rich Lee.
3: Biden's claiming he needs new power at the border, but does he really? And also, what are the Democrats trying to do now to further destroy America's energy independence? Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Thanks for being here. Got a lot to chat about. Don't forget, we'll be at Parks Casino Thursday night for comedy night. Give you some details on that in just a few moments, but... Here to talk about all the latest goings on in Washington, Phil Kirpin is president of American Commitment. Follow him on Twitter at Kirpin. Phil, what's going on, my man?
15: Well, um, they're maybe going to do a tax extenders bill this week. We've got uh, Senate Republicans trying to do some kind of border deal. while the media is using this uh, as a way to blame Republicans for Biden's border crisis. And uh, we've got Everybody's celebrating last week's GDP report like we're in the clear and the economy's booming again, even though it was all driven by government spending. So other than that, everything's
3: great. <laughs> other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, uh, let's talk about the border thing first. I mean, Biden obviously wants Ukraine funding and he's not going to give up on the border until or uh, on, that, on that funding. So he's using the border here and he's saying he needs new power. But as I understand this, when he got into office, he undid the powers that President Trump gave for the border, including the National Emergency Declaration, the Remain in Mexico policy, catch, ending catch and release. Biden got rid of all that. So he could reinvoke those emergency powers. He's got more than enough emergency power ability right now if he wanted to actually deal with the crisis. So it seems like what this border bill is really about is getting funding for all the other things that Joe Biden wants and also to make it easier for people who are in this country illegally to stay in this country illegally.
15: Yeah, so, so here's the thing. The the permanent law, uh, under the Immigration Naturalization Act, gives the president the power to remove anyone who's illegally present in the country. Period. End of story. You don't need any other authority. You're you're here not legally. The president can remove you. Okay? What he's trying to say is, well, pass a law that says that, you know, after however many thousand people a day come in, then I can remove people. And it's like, but but the law now (laughs) says you can remove anyone that you want who's illegally present. And so... Uh, it it's essentially a president who refuses to enforce the law, saying, if you give me one more law, I'll actually use it. Oh, and by the way, it needs to be attached to the funding for all these other things I want, to your point. So, I mean, I, if you have a president who's already acting in a lawless fashion, the idea that one more law and he'll actually start following laws is not very compelling uh, to me.
3: Yeah, no, it's frustrating. And I, I hope Republicans don't fall for this nonsense, because what I'm worried about is you have a lot of Republicans who do want to see Ukraine funding. And they'll use this as their excuse to say, oh, uh, you know, I, I had to do it for the border.
15: Well, including Mitch McConnell. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that at this stage in his career and in his life, and he's probably never going to run for office again, Mitch McConnell thinks like the most important priority is funding Ukraine. I mean, he thinks, you know, we're at war with the Russians and we got to fund them. And he thinks this is, you know, the, sort of the global geostrategic uh, play of, you know, and I don't know, maybe he's right. I'm not a foreign policy guy, but I can tell you that's not where the voters are. And so he's definitely, I, you know, I mean, you might think this is bad or you might think it's good, but he's not acting politically at all. He's just trying to do what he, what he thinks is the most important thing. And I mean, he's actually publicly said a few times over the last year or two, hey, the number one priority for Senate Republicans is funding Ukraine. And he got, you know, pretty, pretty killed for it uh, by voters, but I don't think he cares. I don't think he's running it for anything ever again. So I don't think he cares about voters at this point. And, you know, that means you've got a Republican leader whose top priority is not aligned. And, uh... That means, you're, you know, they'll do anything to get a deal, I think.
3: That's very troubling, but not surprising in the least. Uh, let's talk about the the uh, tweet you retweeted earlier today from Blake Allen. An entire government subsidy program that funds the heckler's veto to make our economy worse. Stupid doesn't even begin to describe this idea. It is a permitting reform idea the Democrats sure. are pushing through. Permitting reform. It-
15: Democrats, you know, they love to do, they love to say they're for things that we're for, but then when you read the details, it's actually the opposite. And so, you know, look, we've been trying to get permitting reform done for a long time because anytime anyone tries to build anything in this country, they get a hundred environmental lawsuits and all these, you know, you, can, you can't get your permits, and it takes, you know, build opening a new mine, a new mineral mine in this country takes on average 15 to 20 years. I think it takes three years in Canada. Probably takes like, you know, two weeks in China. Uh, and so we've been trying to get permitting reform done for a long time and some Democrats like Joe Manchin claim that they're for it well the the Democrats released a draft permitting reform bill and it includes three billion dollars that's billion with a B of funding for left-wing nonprofit groups to quote participate in the environmental review process and the only way these groups have ever participated is trying to block everything in sight so their permitting reform is actually to fund left-wing groups to block anyone getting permits for anything
3: well, that doesn't seem to be very helpful to America's uh, energy independence now, does it? Uh, it's only you know, It might be helpful to Democratic
15: campaigns, because these are all you know, liberal political groups, but it certainly is extremely unhelpful to actually getting anything built in this country, including, by the way, the renewable projects that they claim they're for. Those get environmental lawsuits, too.
3: Let me ask you this. Last week, Phil Kirpin, when the, when the administration came out and put this, uh, this pause on the exports of liquid natural gas, which, of course, is something our allies need, and I think this is going to empower bad guys around the world. What is, all, what is this all about? And the timing of this I found to be very suspicious as well.
15: Well, it's actually pretty insane. Uh, they've got a study by some crackpot that uh, claims that natural gas is worse uh, for global warming than coal and therefore we shouldn't have natural gas exports because they will displace coal in other countries the same way we've replaced most coal in the U.S., and that'll be bad because, I guess, methane leaks or something. I mean, the, the math is insane because, you know, the shift to natural gas in the U.S. has dramatically reduced our greenhouse gas emissions. Now, I don't care about greenhouse gas emissions because I'm not a climate apocalypse uh, person, but, you know, if you're into that, then natural gas should be... A solution. It should be right? what you're promoting. We should want every country to do what the U.S. did and replace their coal with natural gas. But this, the Biden administration, has got some some crackpot study that natural gas is actually bad for climate and uh, it's better for you know other countries to stay on coal and or you know to buy their gas from Russia or whatever. And so uh, the environmental groups say we you know we want you to block gas exports and the president says okay great and you know the. The irony of this is that it's not like, you know, they, they can't like play like a nationalist card and be like, oh, you know, we're going to use it domestically instead of exporting because they don't want us to use it domestically either. We can't get natural gas pipelines built anywhere. I mean, we've got the highest natural gas prices in the country in the Northeast because it's all imported natural gas because we can't build any pipelines into the Northeast. So it's not like they want us to use it domestically either. They just don't want it to be used.
3: Yeah, it's it's, it's insane because, I mean, to your point, again, it's clean burning and, You would think they'd be all over that, but they're just only about renewables. I mean, at the same time, they just, as you probably saw in New Jersey, they just signed on to two big new wind turbine uh, conglomerates to build new wind turbines off the Jersey Shore. And you know, there's a clip of Phil Murphy going around making its way that he was going to protect the oceans Uh, when he signed. The
15: the other company pulled the plug because they couldn't actually make the economics work, even with the huge subsidies. Right? Uh, Did you see my favorite New Jersey story last week about the plastic bag ban?
3: How, how it's led to more plastic? Yeah, three times. Yeah. tripled Triple the amount of plastic used.
15: Because <laughs> the, 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 quote, reusable bags are thicker plastic. And they, then people don't even reuse them that much. So they end up using triple the plastic.
3: I don't know how you feel about this, but if I forget my bags, I, well you where you are, maybe you're allowed to use them. I don't know. But where I am, obviously, I'm in New Jersey, so I, I can't. And if I walk into a store and I've forgotten them, I refuse to buy new stuff. So I will just load my pockets with my groceries and carry them out to the car. And if I drop them, I drop them. So what? I I just refuse. I'm not playing along anymore. I'm just not doing it.
15: Well, what we have here is they did not—they uh, didn't do the ban. They did the tax, and so we've got a—you can still get your plastic bag, but they'll charge you like five or ten cents each for them, and you know it goes to the government to clean up the river or whatever. And so what I started doing is when I'm in the checkout line and somebody uh, takes out their cloth bags or whatever it is, I say, "Why do you hate the river so much? Why don't you want to pay to clean up the river?" <laughs> And I said, just bag mine in the plastic. I'll pay to clean up the river because I
3: care. <laughs> You're a good person, Phil Kirpin. You're a good person. Now, let me I ask try. you before I let you go. Um, the uh, economy is not great. And, and yes, last week we heard more about GDP. And so up and down, you know, the, the Democrats are cheering Bidenomics, Bidenomics. I keep hearing Democrats say that Biden has to go out there and make a better argument uh, of how great the economy is doing. Where is this great economy exactly? I'm trying to find it. I really am. And speaking of shopping, I mean, every time I go shopping, whether I forget my bags or not, I'm paying more for groceries. I'm paying more for everything. So where is this great mythical economy?
15: Well, it only exists uh, for people all the way at the top of the food chain super elites who are doing great um, but for regular people uh, wages have not caught up with car- wages have not caught up with prices and even though inflation has decelerated prices are continuing to rise and wages have not kept up with them so standard of living has fallen cost of living continues to rise people are still behind where they were when Trump was president I think that's going to be a huge political problem for the president especially if he thinks it's just a messaging or a marketing problem rather than an economic problem
3: uh, Phil Kirpin, American Commitment, always great to have you on the show. I saw you, before I let you go, I also saw you tweeted that I guess the Supreme Court is going to hear the case of uh, the Missouri case regarding the online censorship. You said the legality of Biden's collusion with social media companies to suppress COVID dissent will be argued at SCOTUS on March 18th. This is a big deal. I mean, the, the implications of this case are huge, whether or not the government is really censoring people by... By proxy here, by using social media companies to do their bidding, it reminds me of the, you know, the the, the health inspector who comes in to do the bidding of the town by, you know, threatening the the, the deli shop guy. You better give tickets to the mayor's ball, or otherwise, you know, they're going to close him down for health code yeah. violations. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. If the government's threatening you, uh, you tend to do their bidding.
15: It's very insidious. Look, I mean, if the government can engage in censorship, that would be prohibited if they did it themselves by asking a private party to do it, and then they, quote, voluntarily do it for them. Uh, We've got a huge, huge threat to free speech in our country. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind that that's what they did on COVID. It's what they did on election disinformation, on so-called climate disinformation. This is their playbook now. And if the Supreme Court says that's fine, We've got to have Congress step in, and frankly, I'd like to see Congress act on this regardless. Jim Jordan has a bill that would actually punish individual government employees for engaging in this kind of conduct, and we've got to pass something like that, because otherwise, even if the courts like strike it down after the fact, there's no punishment for the individual government employees if they don't at least get fired and fined. I mean, I'd like them to get some jail time, too, but if they don't at least get fired and fined or something, then, uh, you know, why do they care? Why do they care even if it eventually loses in court? So I think we've got to do something to hold individual government employees responsible when they use private entities uh, to engage in censorship
3: well said my friend well said phil kirpin follow him on twitter at kirpin he's president of american commitment thanks for joining us we appreciate it
15: all right have a good one rich it's the five o'clock happy hour
2: on the Riccioli Show, brought to you by the Oceanfront Grand Hotel of Cape May, New Jersey, a premier full service resorting conference center.
3: GrandHotelCapeMay.com So, uh, Law and Order uh, is a show that has certainly, uh, I think, <laughs> lost the plot a long time ago. Uh, new- I saw the story of Newsbusters. So, Law and Order has an episode coming up, uh, which I think is going to be out either this week or next week. I'm not exactly sure. But in the episode, it deals with a woman who's raped, all right? So this woman is raped on, 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 on the episode, and the thing about it is that in their wokey-woke way, what they do in the show is they have her turn around and essentially now not press charges because of, <laughs> I kid you not now, systemic racism and systemic oppression. I'm, I'm, not, even, I'm not even making this up. This is a, this is a real thing. So I have the audio clip from, from the episode, and I'm going to play that for you. The big story of the day today brought to you by Dr. Mike Venaria, is Iran. We're still watching to see if the administration is going to have a response to all of the drone strikes by the Iranian-backed terrorist groups and what that response will be. Um, but th- this is what the Law & Order episode is going to be about. Uh, take a listen.
13: How are you holding up? Uh, not great. I was up all night with Natalie Issues, she was inconsolable. That's understandable. Look, when a person goes through a trauma like that, um, they can end up in a very vulnerable state. Yeah, about that. Okay, then what? We're acutely aware of the systemic inequities that exist within the criminal justice system. You mean for people like Jay? Yeah. Our concern is that he might not receive a fair trial. I can't deny that there's a history of racial bias. It's certainly not a perfect system. How do you do this every day? My focus, my priority, is on healing. So I do what I can. When does Natalie actually have to take the stand? She's up next. So on this
3: recent episode, which uh, was January 25th, the character Natalie, played by actress Romina Dugo, is raped in a dressing room during a smash-and-grab robbery of a clothing store. At the hospital, Natalie denies seeing her rapist's face, despite video camera footage showing the man removing his mask before entering the dressing room. Eventually, she reluctantly identifies her attacker, a black man named Jay Watson, played by actor McKay Cooper. Natalie's lesbian partner, Brooke, played by actress Keely Miller, explains to the detectives that Natalie is angry at the criminal justice system. She's inconsolable. And that's the clip you just heard. Now, Matt DeSantis, you you say that you have another clip from the episode as well?
8: Yeah, and it's equally ridiculous if you'd like to hear it.
3: Oh, I would, I
13: ever. (laughs) Enjoy. Enjoy. Jay Watson raped you. Do you think I forgot? How could I? This entire trial has been an exercise
5: in reminding me. And this is your chance to do something about it. I'm going to. Believe me. Because I can. I can afford therapy. I have that luxury. And maybe one day... I'll be okay. goes to prison he may
3: not be ever
5: I don't want that
8: (laughs) (laughs) what
3: he's a rapist he's supposed to go to prison he's not supposed to enjoy himself no you're wrong I'm sorry but systemic oppression he's the victim <laughs> this is if larry krasner wrote this episode i think larry krasner must have written this episode for law and order even he to be <laughs> thinking this is ridiculous right <laughs> but- Exec-
14: executive producer dick wolf written by larry krasner Yeah, written
3: by larry krasner and alvin bragg <laughs> <laughs> and the uh district attorney of chicago they all they all went in on this no, i mean but what she's saying here essentially is that yes i was raped i i can afford therapy i think she's advocating for free therapy too by the way yeah. If you noticed, therapy for all. Therapy is a fundamental basic human right. So that should be free. But yeah, he raped me, but his life would be worse if he goes to jail and is punished for raping me. This is actually this is this is a this is considered woke. That's considered woke. It's insane. But it's but it's everything I've been saying for all these years. The criminals are the victims of society's oppression. It's not their fault because they're because society is oppressive. Yeah, but well,
8: if you don't imprison this guy, they're not factoring in any potential future victims, right? Well, don't, those don't future victims
3: better be able to afford therapy too. I don't know what to tell them. <laughs> if they also get raped by Jay Watson, I hope they have good therapists. What do you want I mean, what do you want me to say? Why should Jay Watson have to go to prison for being a rapist? <laughs> Wasn't there a time in America when this would have been considered like the most misogynistic episode ever of all time, where just, a guy rapes a woman and then he's going to get off scot-free and it's like, oh, so now we're condoning rape? I mean, wouldn't that have been, I don't know, I feel like five minutes ago, that would have been what the outrage was over.
8: I'm having a hard time even believing this is real. It seems insane. If I hadn't watched the clips as I pulled them, I would just assume it's AI or a, a prank or something, but sure enough, it's it's legitimate.
3: I just like, it's like every time I think, what can they think of next? How can they, how can they outwoke themselves? Well, let's let the rapist go free because he's black and the system is not, there's not even, it's not even like, I'm not sure he did it. Like, no, no, he raped me, but the system is the problem. So he should go free. I mean, she's literally saying that one more. I got to hear it one more time, please. Cause I can't, I can't even process what I just heard one more time.
13: Jay Watson raped you. Do you think I forgot? How could I? This entire trial has been an
5: exercise in reminding me. And this is your chance to do something about it. I am going to. Believe me. Because I can. I can afford therapy. I have that luxury. And maybe one day... I'll be okay.
3: Sure. goes to prison he may not be what's with the dramatic music
8: evidently she has quite the decision on her hand
3: no she doesn't the rapist should go to prison <laughs> she doesn't have a hard decision on her hand the dude should go to prison he raped her it was a violent rape he should go to i don't know if it was as Whoopi goldberg would describe his rape i think it was rape rape
8: yeah, I mean from the clips that I I watched pulling this audio, it seemed like it was a pretty legitimate. Yeah, uh, it was it was violent. Th- this guy should not be on the streets. I don't understand how there's even uh, even an element of discussion about it. So she,
3: even Whoopi Goldberg would would acknowledge this was rape rape. Even
8: even Whoopi it's this is totally nuts.
3: Because you are not understanding that Jay Watson is the real victim here. Matt DeSantis. Yeah, I I'm, I'm going to have to dispute that, I think. When the, when the Hollywood writer's strike happened, they went to woke district attorneys across the country <laughs> and got them to do the writing, apparently, for Law & Order SVU. That's actually an interesting theory. I mean, somebody had to step in. They're like, well, let's get a district attorney to write it. Maybe it'll be, you know, tough on crime or anything. It's like, wait, wait, wait. Am I reading this correctly? You want the rapist to go free? Yes. He's the real victim here. Plot twist. I didn't see that coming. All right. Thank you, Mr. Krasner. We'll submit the script for... Uh, Immediate. well, immediately green light this.
14: <laughs> uh, does it bring you any solace that this episode is very much not rated as high as all the other episodes in the series? I mean, all, like what I'm looking at right now, a lot of these episodes are, you know, seven out of ten and above. Yeah. This one is at a 4.7.
3: Because it's stupid.
14: Because it's stupid. I think, yeah, I think a lot of people who watched it were like, what what is this? What am I watching?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's one thing if like, I I don't know, the the, the guy was, the the teenager was busted for shoplifting. It's freaking rape. Like, it's re-raped her. It's maybe the worst crime you could commit. Short of murder, it's the worst crime you can commit. No question about it. In my opinion, that's it's the worst. Short of killing somebody, violently raping a woman is right below. It's like right there. You know what I mean? forever got to deal with that for her life it's also i mean it's an ultimate invasion of somebody's personal liberty it's just wrong in every level but the system is way worse so he should go free i can't believe my mind
8: no i've, I've never watched this show thankfully but even if i did this would be enough to turn me off i mean permanent i wouldn't i'll never watch an
3: episode of nbc law and order svu this is unbelievably oh, stupid season 25 now. it has been going on for 25 years well there was a time when they actually punished rapists on that show They actually made a point of giving justice to people that raped women for example you know what i mean <laughs> controversial and it's insulting to people who have been abused yes it is uh, absolutely insulting to women who've been abused i yeah because if they i mean think about this from that perspective let's say you're watching this and you're you're a rape victim and you testified against your rapist, which was which would have been the right thing to do. They're guilting you that you didn't just suck it up, buttercup, and go to therapy and deal with it and let the rapist go on with his life. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're kind of shaming any woman out there who ever actually wanted to see her rapist get justice in the form of being incarcerated to keep him off the street so he doesn't rape other women, for example— uh, they're shaming those women because they didn't just suck it up and go to see a, a shrink.
8: Yeah, it's it's disturbing,
3: uh, and I, I I just can't. Ima- I don't. Where are the
8: editors? I don't understand. Larry
3: Krasner was the freaking editor. <laughs>
8: I I assume a show that's been on air for 25 seasons or whatever Henry just said has an enormous team of writers, enormous team of editors. Plus, NBC's got to look at this thing. I would imagine before it hits the. How did no one flag this and say this is nonsense? We shouldn't air it because
3: it's 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 a it's a white woman, black victim. Even though he's a rapist, and society is what's really on trial here: the systemic oppression of the criminal justice system and society. That's really the villain.
14: It looks like this episode is written by three dudes too.
3: Yeah, Krasner, Bragg, (laughs) and who's the DA uh, in San Francisco? Chaz, uh, what's his name? Uh, Oh, he 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 got got, ousted. Who was the one that got ousted? Now he's writing. He's writing scripts for Law and Order. (laughs) So this is—I'm telling you, this is this is the George Soros-funded prosecutor mindset. They're not prosecutors; they're defense attorneys. But George Soros funded all these guys, like Larry Krasner, for example, and they. They let criminals go. They don't prosecute them because they believe that society is racist and patriarchal and hierarchical and everything else and systemic oppression. That's why criminals are back on the streets. But I mean, this takes it to a whole new level of absurdity that the, the, the white woman should bear the white guilt of something she never did own slaves. Because let's face it, that's really what this is about here. And then she should deal with what her trauma without punishing him because he's a victim of america's racist past and systemic racism you see so the white woman needs to bear the guilt of this because of what we've done to make jay the rapist got it
8: no i still don't understand
3: well because you're trying to use logic and i'm i'm <laughs> asking you to not use logic and to Sorry. use emotion to use the emotion not lo- don't use your brain use your heart use your heart man I,
8: I just never understand how not one person flagged this and said, maybe we shouldn't.
3: Well, luckily now it's been flagged all over. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, one person at NBC. Yeah. yeah. Just one. Like, I understand that uh, there
8: are imbeciles out there that think this way, but I'd like to believe they're few and far between that. It's a very small portion of society that would agree with this
3: and idiotic message. And who owns NBC out of curiosity? Comcast. Oh, oh is it? Yeah. So why don't you uh, ask Comcast Xfinity why they thought this the green light, this episode was a good idea on behalf of all the women who've ever been raped, all the women who are dealing with rape in this country. Uh, my question is, why did Comcast think it's OK to shame those women uh, in this episode? Eight five five eight three nine twelve ten on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Coming up, Canada, uh, Tucker Carlson was up there speaking last week and today in Canada. Our favorite Canadian politician pushed back on Justin Trudeau's lunacy. We're going to talk to a guest coming up next who is there for Tucker's speech. And also, too, what is going to happen in New Jersey now that we know 54 dolphins have washed ashore dead. 855839,1210. On Twitter at Rich Zioli. we're coming right back.
2: The only show on your schedule from talk radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app
5: I don't think you're going to do that but you're in your country it's totally cool don't worry he's a good steward um, but he will collapse under the weight of his own ludicrousness and go back to
14: Cuba or do whatever he does <laughs>
5: I don't know if that's true or not but it's
6: just
5: too great to check <laughs> so if i
2: ever meet him i'm gonna demand a 23 and me
5: like
3: right away uh... that was tucker carlson in canada last week welcome back to the show glad you're here today on twitter at rich zoli carla joy treadway was there she talked to tucker at the speech in canada and she's calling us from canada she is on twitter at the sovereign ceo how are you I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, We make fun of your prime minister quite a bit on this program.
1: I make fun of my prime minister even more, I bet.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I I would hope so, since he's yours. At least we're not stuck with him here. Uh, Oh, man. He's a tyrant, that guy. I mean, what they're doing to Jordan Peterson, what they did to the truckers, and and, uh, I saw you tweeted this out, too. I mean he is making basically now the taxpayers of Canada pay for the appeal of the case that said that he he overreached when he took money from these poor truckers.
1: No, that's right. Our our prime minister has committed an an illegal act against his country. He, He did the worst possible thing you could as a prime minister to his country.
3: And now he's appealing the decision, right?
1: Of course, with our taxpayer money, an endless pool of taxpayer money. Yeah, it's it's horrendous.
3: Now, there's. tell me about the election that's going to happen for prime minister, because we also play a lot of clips of Pierre Polivare on this show as well. I, I, I'm a big fan of his.
1: Yeah, I, I like him as well. Um, I think the Conservative Party is... I, I don't think any one person is necessarily our fail-safe out of this. Uh, I think a lot of citizens in, in Canada need to change things as well. But uh I like Pierre. I'm definitely voting for him in the in the next election.
3: Let me play a little clip if I could for you, uh Carla. This is a little exchange that Trudeau and Pierre had. Uh I, I guess you're you know in your system of government what you guys get to, they they yell at each other. It's kinda like Parliament. So Yeah. <laughs> it's very entertaining. It really is to watch. Uh, so Pierre-Paul there tweeted this out earlier, and he said sometimes at Trudeau just makes it too easy. Take a listen.
2: While the conservative leader is muzzling his
3: own caucus and putting himself first,
2: we'll keep putting Canadian the he walked, he,
5: he, no, no just,
3: This one is just
9: too easy.
5: He walked into it.
9: He had to muzzle a member from Newfoundland who called for an end to his leadership, joining another senator who did the same.
3: Because they understand that their constituents are literally starving and unable to heat their homes because the prime minister is quadrupling the carbon tax, doubling
9: housing costs and giving the worst inflation in 40 years. Why won't he listen to instead of intimidating his member for Newfoundland and put his leadership up to a review for. Yeah.
3: So, Carla Treadway, when you were at this speech that Tucker Carlson gave uh, in, in Canada, how was it received?
1: Oh, so well. It was it was a really amazing room of all kinds of Canadians, wealthy and powerful Canadians, um, families, people that had been at the trucker convoy. Um, that, I mean, people had paid money to go see him, right? So the the only Canadians I think that aren't in agreement with Tucker Carlson are the ones that still watch mainstream media, which is just a propaganda tool of this corrupt government. Uh, they might not like to, like Tucker Carlson, but anyone that's Anyone that even is the slightest bit intelligent that isn't brainwashed by mainstream media, they they get that everything that Tucker is saying is 100% true and we have the receipts to prove it.
3: How bad was that the issue for the truckers up there? I mean, we talked about it a lot here, but we had our own issues obviously. We were dealing with in the United States in terms of our own our own tyrants, most most of them at the time on the state level who were doing things locking people down and shutting people down with vaccine mandates. But how bad was it up there with the, with the truckers?
1: Well, it was horrendous. So first I'll say I, I lost the business in 2021 because I was forced to close on and off for 18 months. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't take long to drain your bank account with those kind of closures. Um, there was zero flexibility. It was mandates across the board. And I participated in the trucker convoy. I worked for the uh, documentary team. I assisted the convoy in three different cities. Um, so I was privy firsthand to what it was actually like there. And there was zero violence, zero hate. It was like a family fair Um And when people say anyone that's in agreement with this top down boot stomping that we got, they'll say things like, well, what else what else could we have done? You could have talked to them. Uh-huh. He could have talked to them. And, uh, you know, I, for months I was afraid that my bank account was going to be frozen. They uh, beat an old Indigenous elder in a wheelchair with a horse. There were people holding hands and praying and getting pepper sprayed in the face. We have political prisoners in Canada right now. There's the Coots Four uh, that have been in prison now, the Remand Center, for over 700 days with no bail. With no court date, that's not something that happens in Canada. Of course, nothing that the mainstream media is going to cover. Um, and our prime minister is—he's created bills such that your like your average Canadian gets their news from social media. If we—I don't know if you know this—if we open up our social media platforms, if you open up Facebook, Instagram, and you try and go to anything that's not government propaganda, any independent news source, it'll just say Canadians aren't allowed to watch this content. So it's pretty terrifying. Um, there, there was not one proven act of violence or like anything. Even the main players of the convoy, I, I had dinner with them the other night. Um, people that got solitary confinement, their charges are mischief or conspiracy to commit mischief. Does that sound like a domestic terrorist to you?
3: Hmm. Yeah, it's he's bad. Yeah, no I mean he's a madman and 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 I I hope he loses. I think he's one of the absolute worst and uh Trudeau unfortunately represents this kind of new generation of these these socialists who believe that controlling everybody is for their own good whether it's covid or you know disease x that the world economic forum talks about or whatever else i mean they 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 love this idea of this international order controlling everything he's at the epicenter of it i mean your prime minister is on the world stage constantly advocating this whether it's uh, for climate change or whether it's pandemic preparedness or anything else i mean he's right there in the center of it
1: Yep, non Tucker spoke to that a lot too, right? He he doesn't care about the people. And, you know, one thing that Jordan Peterson said about these great big events, when when they go to Davos and you talk to the globalists, all the globalists can talk about is there being too many people. And Jordan Peterson says, Well, what do you do when there's too many mice in your house? You get you get rid of the problem. Now, when you look at everything that our government's doing, uh, trying to destroy our only energy resource, you know, we're one of the coldest countries on Earth. 50% of Canadians use fossil fuels to heat their homes, It's not just about buying a fancy electric car. Uh, we have made being more easily accessible than psychotherapy or an MRI. Uh, we have these disastrous gender policies being taught to our children, Um There is no policy from the liberal government that looks like it's for the people. Everything looks like it's designed to destroy the people right now.
3: Hmm. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, educate us here in the States. We appreciate it very much. You can follow Carla on Twitter at the Sovereign CEO. And you're, you're a business coach, right? You're a digital marketing coach.
1: I am. I am. And I got sucked into this political realm a little bit the last few years. Um, My Instagram is Carla Joy Treadway. And yeah, I do business coaching. I do marketing. And I do a lot of bringing things to light as well as often as I can, because it's, you know, if we don't, I could focus on my business. But there's not going to be a business if the country keeps going in this direction. So I definitely make sure to talk about all the things as often as I can here as well.
3: Well, we'll tune into your podcast, The Sovereign CEO Podcast, and come back and, and visit us again. We appreciate your time today. I really do. Thank you, Carla. i love to. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening
2: to The Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210, WPHD and the Odyssey app.
3: The Supreme Court has to keep Trump off the ballot if they want to be consistent with their originalism. And the dumbest op-ed I've ever read in my life from Political Magazine, Trump's Supreme Court justices must kick him off the ballot. It's their only choice if they want to maintain their commitment to originalism. This is the big story of the day today. Brought to you by my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com. Go see him today for your perfect smile. Bruce Ackerman is a sterling professor of law and political science at Yale University. And he goes on to talk about, as the Supreme Court's about to hear the case, he writes the following. Originalism, pure and simple, serves as the foundation for Trump's exclusion from the race. The reality requires the Supreme Court to confront a fundamental dilemma and poses a huge test for justices Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. Not only did the Trump-appointed justices proudly proclaim their adherence to originalism at their Senate confirmation hearings, but their commitment served as the basis for repudiating Roe v. Wade as the constitutional right in Dobbs. After all, many Americans will ask if originalism is compelling enough for the new majority to strip women of control over their bodies Why isn't it compelling enough to strip control, uh, strip Trump from control over the country? Now, there's nothing in here that actually justifies how this is actually about originalism. But the point here, I would argue with this law professor back, is that if the original draft of the 14th Amendment Section 3, which had the word president in it and was taken out when they ratified the amendment, To say that you'll be disqualified if from being a senator or a member of the House of Representatives, an elector of president or vice president or an officer of the United States, et cetera, et cetera. Wouldn't the originalist finding be that if the intent of the framers of the 14th Amendment, the the drafters of the amendment was to keep the word president in, they would have kept it in because they took it out in the draft and not in the final text of the 14th Amendment. So wouldn't the originalist view be that they did not intend for the president of the United States to be considered as part of that in terms of being barred from office for being an insurrectionist? But the other point, too, that this professor seems to miss is that originalists also care about something called due process, which is also in the 14th Amendment. And also in the 14th Amendment, it talks about how Congress gets to set the rules of how people are disqualified. They leave it to Congress to do that. So this entire thing is a piece of garbage, but I just will share with you the, really what the, what the tell is here by this guy. He writes, this historical experience suggests that even if Biden beats Trump in 2024, the Supreme Court's failure to uphold the Constitution may well facilitate a vicious cycle that leads to the death of American democracy over the course of the 21st century. But should the justices stick to their principles, the court's reputation and American democracy will get back on track. So you see, what what the far-left political professor here from Yale wants people to do, want the Supreme Court to do, is worry about their reputation, not to worry about what the text of the Constitution says. And even if if Biden wins, we're still going to lose American democracy. So, So I guess they kind of undermine the entire argument that Trump will be the destruction of American democracy because they're affirming that even if Biden wins American democracies toast either way. That was stupid. Uh, The other thing too, that I wanted to mention is Bill Malusion showed a, on Fox news, a photographer in California just witnessed two humans smuggling SUVs drop off groups of illegal immigrants who then trot around the border wall and enter the United States. People from China, Turkey and India are in this group. This is in eastern San Diego County that this just happened. Obviously, this is going on, you know, all over the place here. Uh, And, okay, so this is an interesting tweet that my friend just sent me. UFC veteran Paige Van Zandt says the entire Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey love story is 100% fake. Now, I would normally not talk about Taylor Swift other than the context of how Biden is going to use her to help him get reelected. So, the question is, is this a Fugazi relationship?
14: Well, what like do you a big, think? Well, big PR stunt? hmm Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised.
3: 100% fake. I, I can't
14: say with certainty it's 100% because, you know, I don't know. Celebrities finding celebrities, it makes sense, you know. Kind of lived that a lifestyle you find common ground with someone who knows what it's like to be in the spotlight. I don't know, I can't say it's a Fugazi hundred percent, but if you know if it turned out to be so, yeah, I wouldn't um, be shocked
3: and doesn't it make her mo- even more influential because now theoretically she can reach the football consumer because mm-hmm. she's dating a football player yeah, absolutely big I, dude.
8: I'm gonna choose to believe anything this Paige Van Zant has to say I just googled her. she's quite attractive. Mm-hmm.
3: yeah, anything oh, Paige Van sure. Zant has to say'm <laughs> I'm, I'm in
8: if she says it's a, a fake relationship, then I agree.
3: She says, I think that the Taylor Swift-Travis Kelsey love story, I believe, is 100% fake. I truly believe it's a publicity. Uh, Taylor Swift is huge, and now she's getting an entirely different demographic to come watch the NFL. He did this—how did the season come out? With He did this vaccine commercial. There's so much strategic stuff that's happening. All right, so what about the theory that the NFL—the Super Bowl is going to be rigged so the Kansas City Chiefs win because of Taylor Swift?
14: I don't buy that for a second. There's this guy, and I can't believe I bet against him. I have to rewire my brain to put him in the same breath as Tom Brady. There's no stopping Patrick Mahomes. In fairness, they were pretty lousy all season. They flipped the switch and now they're good again. They do it every year. They just
8: well, have something else. They're good out. last year. Well, they're they are good. The number I'm one just... seed. This year, they, I thought for sure well, they were going to lose to the Bills. I thought for sure they'd lose to the Ravens. They were underdogs in both games. And are you suggesting the switch
3: is the, the we want Taylor Swift to win switch? No, I think no. That? Mahomes oh. is just on another level. Yeah, and like, they need yeah. to turn it on. When
14: they, it comes down, do. like do you have the quarterback that's going to make the plays? He makes the plays. He always makes the plays and I have to like remind myself, like all right, if the Chiefs in the playoffs, no matter how bad the season's gone. because if, if, if they have McCullough. that
3: guy. And Andy Reid.
14: Yeah, he also it definitely helps as well.
3: I'm still going to root against him. I can't. Me too. No, no. No way. I have to. again no. I mean, Because of Taylor
14: Swift. Yeah, I have to. They're so annoying. To. They're yeah. so annoying. You would rather cheer for the 49ers? Yes. Oh, I, my
8: I, gosh. Yes. I hate the 49ers. So this is
3: No, not a turncoat. Turncoats. Why? We don't live in either city. Why is it a turncoat? Not if the Eagles e- playing. If if, but <laughs> if you're an Eagles fan, you should want the
14: 49ers dead.
8: Why? The Chiefs knocked us out of the Super Bowl last year.
14: Yeah, but the 49ers are the ones who cried and whined all offseason that we did not they didn't get a fair shot in the NFC Championship, and now they've come all the way back to go to the Super Bowl and talk all that smack they've been talking yeah, but, and with a chance to win over the team that the Eagles couldn't beat last year. Yeah, but every i I'd commercial... rather them defend that title than have the 49ers have a smidgen of, you know, we told you so.
8: Yeah, but I don't have to see Brock Purdy and Debo Samuel every single commercial break. I do have to see Jason uh Kelsey and or uh Travis Kelsey, excuse me, and Patrick Mahomes. And I can't take it anymore. They and Taylor Swift go away. Mean,
3: yeah. Oh, oh, they're Taylor Swift. The yeah. They're, they're not the gonna go
14: away if they lose the Super Bowl. Well, the 49ers might. will stay forever. They will hold that over our heads forever.
3: All right. Forever. Fair, fair, fair but it'll be a big loss to the Swifties. Sure. I again I it's the lesser of two evils. But who cares? Who cares the lesser of two evils. actually
8: is uh some controversy uh controversy. Taylor Swift may not be at that football game. Oh really? Yeah uh, yeah, so apparently she's gonna have to fly from Tokyo to wherever where is the game being held? Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Fly from Tokyo to yeah. Las Vegas. Uh she's got a performance there the night before. It's a seventeen hour flight or something. She may just barely make it for kickoff.
3: Well, and the private jet Of course, then she'll be using her carbon offsets (laughs) to be carbon neutral. You don't have to worry about that. All right. We got a big fourth and final hour coming up for you in New Jersey. Dead dolphins. What's happening in New Jersey, I wonder. And also to Joe Biden rambling over the weekend in South Carolina as he has no coherent message whatsoever. And is uh, the governor of New Jersey also helping his wife using your taxpayer dollars? To become the next United States Senator. I'll tell you all about that as well. But listen, I'll tell you about my friend, Dr. Mike Venaria. He's my friend. He's my dentist. He's a great guy. He is the master of dental implants, the master of making you look and feel your greatest with a million dollar smile. I recommend you book an appointment with Dr. Mike today. I've been telling you about Dr. Mike for years. My entire family goes to Dr. Venaria and his staff delivers the incredible unmatched level of care. He's been delivering results that surpass expectations that has made him a top dentist in New Jersey for 10 consecutive years. In fact, he has one of the most respected reputations among his peers as a master of dental implants. So if you've been on the fence about getting that dental procedure done, reach out to Dr. Mike today. Go to venereadental.com or 856-786-2020, 856-786-2020, or visit venereadental.com. That's com.
2: It's the only weekday afternoons, 3-7, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and on the free Odyssey app. WPHT, WPHT, HD, HD3, Philadelphia, from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The Revolution will be broadcast. The Revolution is is the, the next generation of talk. Now, on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. Oh
3: dolphins what's causing the dead dolphins in new jersey we have no idea nobody can figure it out nobody welcome back to the show it is our fourth and final hour here on talk radio 1210 wphd great to be with you today on a very very busy busy monday as mondays seem to be these days as we get closer and closer to the election um which is going to be in what 280 days or something like that i think it's 280 days it's a lot of fun good times good times now <clears throat> a story that came out over the weekend uh there's two there's two issues here with what's going on in new jersey the first one is you have to understand something that is that uh the governor uh, the king his royal rugness king philip the unaccountable wants to be president of the united states of america so if you're listening right now in pennsylvania or delaware or maryland or wherever else you are across the country and go ah, this doesn't affect me i don't live in jersey you're wrong it does affect you because he definitely, definitely 100% wants to run for president. But the second reason it, it affects you is because what he's doing here is so corrupt with his wife, Tammy. It is the epitome of Democrat corruption. So, as you know, uh, Gold Bar, Bob Menendez, has been selling out the United States of America for, uh, for Egypt and Qatar, helping his friends there in Egypt and Qatar. And in doing so, um, uh, Goldbar Bob Menendez has shown himself to be one of the absolute biggest slime balls in the history of slime. Now, we've always known he was corrupt. Everybody in Jersey knows that. It's the worst kept secret in New Jersey. But the difference, though, is that he crossed the Obama administration on Iran. And that's, they, won't, they will tolerate Democrat corruption. They definitely will. Uh, as long as you play ball with them. Then suddenly, if you don't, then they get very upset. And that's when they turn around and they say, oh, you're not being a good boy or girl. We have to indict you uh, for the corruption that we all know about because we know you're corrupt. And that's what happened with Menendez. You know, I have people tweeting at me and saying, Rich, you're missing the point. He crossed Obama. He crossed Biden on Iran. No, I'm not missing the point. That is the point. Exactly right. But it doesn't change the fact that he's corrupt. He's a corrupt SOB. Two things can be true at the same time. So anyway, uh, now that Menendez is toast, the governor has decided he wants his wife, Tammy, to run for U.S. Senate so that they could be the new Clintons. But the thing about it, of course, is that he could demand that Bob Menendez leave office early. I mean, he could come out and say, I I want you out and uh, I want to appoint a successor, but he doesn't want to do that. The reason why is because he doesn't want to appoint his own wife to the U.S. Senate seat because that might look that would look bad. I mean, here's the governor now using his office to appoint his wife to the Senate. Wouldn't play well. I know that Democrats are rarely held accountable for things, but it would, it would, there'd be blowback, no, no question about it. So, they want Tammy Murphy to win the nomination, and all the Democrat Party bosses in New Jersey will do what they're told. She'll win the nomination, and then she will become the next United States Senator for New Jersey because she'll be the Democrat nominee. So, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy... Turns out, has been using taxpayer resources to promote his wife as he campaigns to become the Garden State's, as she campaigns to become the Garden State's latest U.S. Senator. And this is from the New York Post. Governor Murphy's press office has pumped out a slew of fawning press releases, which appear on the governor's website about First Lady Tammy Murphy after she announced her Senate run on November 15th. There's one on January 16th, 2024. First Lady Tammy Murphy celebrates signing of doula access bill. Why is that a a, a press release from the governor's office that the First Lady celebrates this? First Lady Tammy Murphy celebrates the signing of the doula access bill. I mean, you got to have a good doula. January 23rd, 2024. First Lady Tammy Murphy today hosted a roundtable discussion to celebrate Maternal Health Awareness Day. Now, you might ask yourself, all right, well, who was at this roundtable discussion? Who was there? Powerful people across New Jersey. That's who? Shocking. And they came up with recommendations for legislation. The health commissioner was there. The assistant health commissioner was there. All these very, very important people. Uh, people in the legislature were there. People in the uh, in, the, um, in the medical community were there yes lots of very very important powerful people were there as you can imagine january 9th 2024 first lady tammy murphy announces the 2024 state of the state address special guests on tuesday january 9th now who would be the special guests you might want to know who came to king philip the unaccountable's state of the State address. Uh, Sabrina Charles, a senior's honor student at Rutgers University, nursing school, Alex Chen, senior at the Essex County, Donald M. Payne Senior Tech High School, Jose Flores, a Arab immigrant, restaurant guy, Eddie Freeman from Marlton, New Jersey, a homeowner, United States Army Reserve veteran, uh, and the list goes on and on and on. All these people who were invited as the dignitaries to join His Royal Highness and the Royal Family for the State of the State Address. December 13th, First Lady Tabby Murphy announced that six public members have been appointed by Governor Phil Murphy to serve on the board of the New Jersey Maternal and Infant Health Innovation Authority. Okay, so why wouldn't the press release just come from the governor's office since he's the one doing the appointing?
12: Well,
3: because that would mean you missed an opportunity to get her name into the story. That's why. So, December thirteenth, twenty twenty-three. First Lady Tammy Murphy announced that six public members have been appointed by the governor, by her husband, who serve on the board. I know what you're thinking. Which well, so she's a spokesperson now? No, of course not. She's the first lady. But the point is, it's a way to get her name in the article. November 20th, 2023. At Maternal and Infant Health Roundtable Discussion at University Hospital, First Lady Tammy Murphy announces introduction of Doula Access Bill. <clears throat> Legislation ensures doulas access to hospitals and birthing facilities to accommodate pregnant mothers. And by the way, they love um they do they they they, they love this whole maternal access thing. I mean, they're all in on abortion obviously all over but this is, this is her big core issue. <laughs> maternal health. November 20th, at maternal and infant health roundtable discussion at University Hospital, First Lady Tammy Murphy... I, 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 I shared that one already. Okay, there's so many. It's hard to keep track. Critics know that Tammy Murphy benefits from the trappings of being First Lady with a November 22nd release announcing that, quote, Governor Murphy and First Lady Tammy Murphy invite New Jersey residents to holiday open houses at Drum Thwacket, the governor's mansion in Princeton. She faces a contested Democrat primary from Congressman Andy Kim and possibly Senator Robert Menendez himself, whose seat they are vying for. The state's other U.S. Senate seat is held by Democrat Cory Booker, better known as Spartacus Booker and the Tears of Rage Band. Now, the Republican Party and my buddy Alex Wilkes, who was a spokeswoman over there, said, we finally understand all these years, Phil Murphy promised that to make things stronger and fairer, he was talking about his own marital harmony, not New Jersey. His backwards policies have bankrupted everyone in the state who hasn't already left, so it makes sense that he's using the taxpayer dime to support the wife's campaign. There's some of the only ones left who can afford to stay here. The Murphy situation is reminiscent of when then-President Bill Clinton was accused of using the power of the Oval Office to help his wife Hillary in her successful bid to become U.S. Senator from New York. Well, I mean, obviously the Murphys look at the Clintons and think, well, why not? Right? Why not us? I guess in some ways you might say to yourself, sorry, I just threw up Minton. Uh, you might say to yourself, well, yeah, I mean, why not? First Lady Tammy Murphy is proud to continue the impactful work she started six years ago through her Nurture NJ initiative to tackle our state's maternal and infant health crisis and make New Jersey the safest and most equitable state in the nation to deliver and raise a baby, said a spokesperson for the governor's office, the most equitable state to raise a baby until that baby can't afford to live in New Jersey like most people in New Jersey. And that baby decides I want to live in Florida, where the baby's parents do. In January 2021, First Lady Murphy unveiled the Nurture NJ Maternal and Health, Infant Health Statewide Strategic Plan, with a path and a promise to reduce maternal deaths by 50% over five years. And in partnership with thousands, this work must continue. Over the years, she has also worked to incorporate climate change education, support women-owned businesses, Among other learning priorities, the climate change education, of course, is the ultimate indoctrination of your students in New Jersey public schools, where you are just told what is causing climate change. You're not going to learn about dead whales and dolphins, though. Now, I've, I've been involved in New Jersey politics for most of my life. Literally, I had my first internship when I was in junior high school. So I understand how the game works. And uh, the powerful party bosses do whatever the governor tells them to do, because the governor controls all the purse strings. And the way it works in New Jersey is that these counties have something that's known as the line, the party line. It's a column, basically. And if you're on it, the voters can see you. If you're not on it, they have to search you out. It's not easy to do. It's how these, uh, these party bosses maintain all their power and their control. But a lot of it has to do with the governor. has it. Made, the New Jersey governor, the structure of that office, is the most powerful in the country in terms of appointments, in terms of doling out the bucks, in terms of stopping people in their tracks if he doesn't like you, and in terms of killing whales and dolphins. Undisputed power. Tammy Murphy has made maternal health a key plank in her Senate campaign, launching a Mom Sir Murphy team. So the governor's office is in sync with her campaign message. Look at that, huh? Look at that. Now, I'll tell you, if I keep thinking about the corruption in New Jersey, I will definitely get sick <laughs> because it's so blatantly obvious. You know, it's like, it's, like, it's like New Jersey now is is going to add grief instruction for 8th through 12th graders. Grief instruction. What, why are parents not... Helping with grief. When did this become the job of the school? New Jersey has become the first state to require health and gym teachers to help students cope with the death of a loved one. And it must provide instruction to students in grades 8 through 12 on the physical, emotional, and behavioral symptoms of grief as well as other coping mechanisms. I just, I, I mean, it it, it, it scares me because I think whenever you have the state telling students what grief is and how to get over grief, it just becomes a little bit... And it opens the door for them to turn around and think that government plays a role in all this. You know what I mean? As you, as you create little indoctrinated little robots. And John Bramnick, who's a Republican, I use that in air quotes, who just announced he's running for governor, says, all you have to do is talk to a student who lost their parent, and you will see why this is a good idea. It's incredibly important legislation. It's the, it's the first law of its kind in the country. But the bill had unanimous support. I don't know. I mean, I think it's just one of those things where it, sound, it sounds like a great idea, but you got to see how it plays out in real life because what we're talking about here is potentially now, well, like for example, I mean, will we have, will we, have, will we talk about grief over dead whales and dolphins? Like in that will like will that come up? You know what I'm saying will that will that come up in the, in the course of all this? Because the other story about New Jersey, of course, is that they just handed out two major windmill contracts. Two big windmill subsidy contracts, which cannot exist, by the way, without billions of dollars of subsidies. They just can't. I mean, you can't build these things as taxpayers without you paying for them. A new analysis by, that came out, which was posted on our buddy Matt Rooney's site, SaveJersey.com. New offshore wind projects to cost New Jerseyans almost $1 billion a year. On January 24th, the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities approved two massive offshore wind projects, 2,400 M, uh, megawatt leading light wind and 1,342 megawatt attentive energy, Two. The two projects will raise the cost of electricity by only $6.84 a month for a typical residential customer only $60 a month for a typical commercial customer and only $513 a month for a typical industrial customer, which of course means all of that will be passed on to you. When you add up the cost for all 3.7 million residential customers, 538,000 commercial customers, and over 11,000 industrial customers, the annual bill totals over 750 Million dollars. By the time the projects are completed, inflation is likely to have pushed the figure close to one billion dollars. One billion dollars every year for the 20 year life of the contracts. So I'm no math guy, but one billion times 20 is like almost 20 billion dollars. According to the fact sheet, the two projects will create 5,000 direct full time equivalent jobs. But I don't believe that. So this is going to be a government job creation bill is basically what it is. Now, then you have to think about the other aspect of all this, which is that not only do people hate these windmills and these wind turbines, you have all these dolphins, these dolphins that are dying. Oh, I'll get into the Taylor Swift thing with you, by the way. Oh, I will. I will get into the Taylor Swift thing. But it was a deadly year for dolphins in New Jersey. And, and you have to wonder why. Why? How did all these Dolphins die in such, a, in such a, a, a long, 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 terrible year for Dolphins? Not as bad as the Lions did last night, but actually that game was pretty close. But as a bummer, you know, I was, uh, they were America's underdog. I think everybody was rooting for them. But let's think about this now. NJ.com posts one of their stories for their subscriber specials. So you have to be a subscriber to get it. And what I tweeted out yesterday was, I wonder what could be causing this. His royal rugness, King Philip the Whale and Dolphin Killer, says it's not the wind turbine, so we can rule that out. 54 dolphins died along the Jersey Shore in 2023, the third deadliest year in decades. Fifty for, do- and those are the ones we know about. We don't know about the ones that drop to the bottom of the ocean or eaten by sharks or whatever else. We just, we don't know. But what we do know though is that the corporate media and the government, they're all in on saying it's not wind turbines. It can't be wind turbines. You can't, you can't believe it is. See, it's like anything else, right? Anything else that's science related. They tell you what it's not. They don't tell you what it is because they don't know, but they tell you what it's not. But if they don't know what's causing it, how can they know what's not causing it? Exactly, it's like the same thing with the COVID lab leak theory, right? Which, of course, is a fact. We we say we know definitively it was it did not come from a lab. So you 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 know it came from a wet market. No, we just know it didn't come from a lab, huh? New Jersey saw its third highest number of stranded dolphins in the past 20 years, in 2023, with 54 dolphins or porpoises washing up on its shores. But experts aren't sounding any alarm bells yet. Well, why should they? Dead dolphins don't vote. Dead Democrats do, but not dead dolphins. The 54 deaths of different types of dolphins in harbor porpoises last year is higher than the annual median, based on the data going back to 2002. The median number of dolphins at Wash Shore each year is 35. That means the number of deaths in 2023 was more than 50% higher than in a typical year. Much of the increase is chalked up to three mass stranding events. The cause of deaths were typical health-related issues commonly observed in stranded dolphins, like infections or pneumonia. The first mass stranding event happened in Sandy Hook in February when three dead dolphins became stuck in shallow water close to the shoreline. Rescue teams were called, but all three dolphins died on the beach. Now, what's making the dolphins act so kooky and crazy? Well, the reason the reason why the dolphins are doing these things like swimming so close to shore is because the massive sounds that they're hearing as they do the exploration for the windmills and the sonar mapping, as it's called, is causing the dolphins to freak out. Same with the whales. And they think that they are escaping predators. So they swim close to shore and they get stranded. Researchers eventually determined that year to be what's considered an unusual mortality event. They don't, in this article, by the way, they, they don't even mention the wind turbines. They don't even mention that because why would they mention that? That would, that would get in the way of their, of their big climate change agenda. So they'll bring up all the other reasons why dolphins could be dying, but they will never mention anything about the fact that, you know what, it could maybe, just maybe, be the fact that as Michael Schellenberger pointed out in his documentary, the sounds that are created from the piling, boom, 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 what happens there um, really affects the whales and the dolphins to such a big degree that you, you understand that they freak out. They freak out. And, I, and look, I don't blame them for freaking out. I'd freak out, too. I'd freak out, too, because if you think about it for a moment, this is their home, right? This is their home. And now you have these people coming in and then these people are, are, are turning their home into a home for windmills. And in doing all this, they are creating these very dangerous circumstances for them renewable wind turbines linked to whale deaths journalist Michael Schellenberger talked about his documentary wind turbines linked to whale deaths and it's because of the sound of the pilings it's because of the sound of the pilings and we all know what it is but when you have people that are hell bent on getting these wind turbines built because there's so much money involved they're never ever going to come out and tell you the truth there's too much money at stake and dead whales don't vote and dead dolphins don't vote either. So that's how it goes. So New Jersey is a wash in corruption. Now, the good news, though, is that we can, we can fight back on these whales. We can fight back on these whale deaths and these dolphin deaths. We can, we can fight back on the, uh, the wind turbines, just like we did. Just like we did when it came to Orsted and we got them to leave New Jersey, which was great because we will push back and our shows at the Grand Hotel of K May we'll push back and don't forget, the, the Right Whale Society has already come out and said this is killing whales and this will drive the species to extinction if the wind turbines are not stopped. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Coming up, Ilon Omar hates America. No surprise there. And Bill Maher schools the guy who created uh, Family Guy, Seth MacFarlane, on how the media cannot be trusted. Don't go away.
2: The only Show, on your schedule, from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, in the free Odyssey app.
3: Can Republicans win Pennsylvania? You bet. There's a pathway. There's a big pathway there ahead. And if they do, they will put a Republican in the White House, no doubt about it. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. It is our fourth and final hour on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Don't forget... Uh, Thursday night, Parks Casino, Parks Casino Comedy Night. I want to see you there. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have some great comedians coming out. 20 bucks, get your ticket, your first drink included. Uh, I'll be the MC along with Mike Baldini. We'll have a great time together. And uh, yeah, we'll have some fun. So all you got to do is get your tickets by going to parkscasino.com slash comedy. You must be 21. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette has a story about the chart to a Pennsylvania victory in the 2024 presidential election. And there is a way there is absolutely a way. And, and by the way, the lesser Casey, Bob Casey has awoken from his slumber to say that, yeah, you know what? Uh, uh, yeah, it's no doubt about it. We are very, very concerned about this race because Dave McCormick has money and party unity behind him. Oh, there's also a um, spotlight PA story today about Pennsylvania. that a officials fret over the 2024 election is Pennsylvania prepared for misinformation and mail ballot canvassing. And of course, what they try to do is they try to come out there and say that the Republicans are out there spreading misinformation about mail and balloting. Uh, the, re- the reality is, and you and I both know this, we have to do a better job of convincing Republicans that they have to trust the system while ensuring that the system is, is absolutely
13: 100%
3: fair and honest and not corrupt. But the Democrats have a massive advantage in mail-in balloting, and it's not going away because because what's happening is the state is funding all this. Like Erie County, Pennsylvania alone received $900,000 in state funding to help with the counting of mail-in ballots and hiring more workers to count the mail-in ballots. So even though we know that there's corruption around these things, even though we know that these things can be be tinkered with, um, you're not allowed to ask any of those questions. So don't ask questions, okay? Got it? Good. Glad to hear that. Now, there is a pathway to victory, though. Donald Trump won Pennsylvania in the presidential election in 2016. And if they look now at 2024... Alex Conant, a Washington-based Republican consultant, said, I would tell him to do everything he can to make this election a referendum on Biden. If This election is about Trump's character and behavior. He's not going to do well with independents. What are independents thinking about when they go to vote? Is it Biden's record on core issues or Trump's tweets? Somebody made a great point the other day. We were watching the games together. They said, tell me what you like about Joe Biden and his policies without mentioning Donald Trump. Tell me what you like about Joe Biden and his policies without mentioning Donald Trump. You can't mention Donald Trump's name, all right? So that's the only thing you can't mention Donald Trump's name. Go. Can you do it? Can you? Can you? Can you tell me something you like about Joe Biden without bringing up Trump? Now, now the answer is always no. They they can't. I mean, they can't because they they, they the only reason why they like Biden is because they're terrified of another Trump presidency. That's it. That's it. I, I mean, why? Wh- what is there to say that they like about Biden exactly? Huh? What is there to say that they like is my question. Donald Trump, yes, when he was
4: commander in chief, refused to visit a cemetery, U.S. cemetery outside of Paris. Not true. For fallen American soldiers. Not true. And he referred to those heroes, and I quote, as suckers and losers. Not true. He actually said that. He Not said true. that. How dare he
3: say that? How dare he talk about my son and all of us rest like that? Uh, Joe Biden's not well, obviously But the story's not true, number one Number two, the other question That I, I think everybody has to ask themselves is Why does Biden yell? Does, it, does, that make it, does that make it Better? I mean, if you Yell, does that make it true? I'm just curious Does it make Trump the sitting president?
4: Did you see what he recently said about the West, the, the, He wants to see The economy crash this year yeah. A sitting president. As they say in my faith bless me, Father, for, I mean, come on, man.
3: Come on, man. He's a sitting president. Well, you got that part right, I guess, in some ways, anyway. I don't, uh, uh, Biden's having a tough time here, too. I mean, he's having a tough time with a lot of different things. But he he also, in addition to, you know, not being able to really form a coherent sentence, he's got Democrats coming at his heels. Like Gavin Newsom, all over the TV this weekend all over the TV this weekend. Oh, yeah. And all these rumors about Michelle Obama, they're still out there. They're out there. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just saying they're not going away. And why, and, why, and, and, and why would they go away? You know what I mean? Why would they go away? Because it's very obvious that Joe Biden is not well. He's not well. And, I mean, like, for example, tell me what he's saying right here. Go ahead. Translate this. Go so ahead. Salem,
4: asylum officers. And over one hundred cutting edge inspection machines to help detect and stop fentanyl coming out of our southwest Marsha,
3: border. It's like Chevy Chase when he did Land Shark and Saturday Night Live. Mr. Mushroom Mushroom? Mr. Mushroom Mushroom. So all right, so then so Democrats can't answer the question of what do you what do you like? Right? What do you like about Joe Biden without bringing up Trump's name? Biden has been viewed unfavorably 55% to 41% in a recent Quinnipiac University poll of Pennsylvania voters for Trump it was 58% unfavorable and 38% favorable. Mike Duhaime, a Republican consultant in New Jersey, who was a Christie guy said, I don't know that the Republicans are going to win Pennsylvania. Trump makes it hard. People already know what they think of him. Most people don't like him. Well, Biden may not be doing a great job. He's more likable. Uh, Mike, you're wrong. It's not about likability this time around. It's about results. It's about results, period. That's it. I mean, that's about results. It, you, 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 you simply cannot sit back and tell me, nobody likes either one of these two guys. Fine. But then you got to turn around and go, all right, well, if, it's, if I don't like either one of you, then who's better? Who's better doing the job? I don't have to like you. I just want to know who's better doing the job. You know, all these people in this article, they keep mentioning likability as if it's a factor. There are going to be a lot of people who are center-left Democrats or squishy Republicans who are going to vote for Trump and not tell anybody. They're, they're just going to go, and they're not going to say anything. Vince Galco, a Republican strategist based in Northeastern PA, said Republicans must focus on kitchen table issues, such as the economy, rather than hot-button social issues, including abortion. Well, you know, the other, the other thing here, too, is that if you talk about kitchen table issues, people at the kitchen table may sit around and say they don't like Trump personally, but they also don't like the cost of the groceries at the kitchen table. Almost 60% of the 3.5 million Pennsylvanians who voted for Mr. Biden in 2020 did so by mail. I've told you that the Republicans have to embrace mail-in balloting. I don't like it. You don't like it. We don't like it. I get it. But if we don't, we're going to have a problem in this next election. We're going to have a problem. We just are. We, 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 We just are. President Trump uniquely possesses the vision, experience, and ability to steer America back toward a path of prosperity, said U.S. Rep. Representative Guy Reschenthaler. I'm calling on Nikki Haley to suspend her candidacy immediately, as any future campaign efforts will only bolster Joe Biden and his radical Democrats. He's right. Guy Reschenthaler is correct about that point. He's absolutely correct on that point. But don't think for don't think for a moment that that Nikki Haley's going anywhere if there's a pathway to the convention and getting Trump out of the race, because this is what she'll do. I mean, she'll stay in if she thinks there's a way that she can get there. Don't I mean, don't you think if she thinks that there's a chance that something's going to happen to Joe to uh, to Donald Trump and she's got the money behind him, she might she might just stay there.
4: Folks, um, uh, I. uh, If I were smart. I'd say thank you and leave. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good point. If you were smart, you'd just say thank you and leave. But you're not that smart. so. And then you have you have the other problem, too, for the Democrats right now is that they look crazy. Not only the border invasion also, but you have crazy people in the party like Ilan Omar, for example. I mean, Ilan Omar hates America. There's this viral clip going on about her yelling in and, and I guess it's it's Somali, I guess would be the language. I, I, I'm i not quite I'm not quite sure, but I don't want to play it for you because honestly, it's it, it, it's it's painful. It, it really is painful to listen to. But she was condemned on social media after a passionate speech supporting Somalia. Harshly criticized by conservatives on social media Sunday after a video was shared showing her speaking about her support for Somalia in the video. The progressive kook Minnesota leader was addressing a crowd in a Minneapolis hotel when she spoke about the Somaliland and the unrecognized states deal with Ethiopia, which Somali allies, which Somalia alleges infringes on its territory. The video shared on X contains an English translation. Omar's response to the controversy lends credence to the translation being largely accurate. And essentially what it comes out and says is that, you know, the U.S. is going to do what, whatever it wants. I think people look at the kind of craziness of the kookery of people like Ilhan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the others and they go, the Democrats are whack. The Democrats are nuts. That's why John Fetterperson keeps coming out and pretending that he's this big moderate or John Fetterperson's body double does. No, really, because they want it. They, they know they know that this is a loser for them to, to, to associate themselves with crazy people. They know it's a loser for them. So that's why John Fetter person is doing everything he possibly can or his body double is to sound like he's a reasonable guy, a reasonable guy. And he's only doing that because he hears from people on the streets. He hears from people on the streets and he knows what people are saying. And they think the country is nuts. They think the country is crazy. They think the country is going on a very, very bad direction and it's already in a bad direction. And Christy Noem, who I think would be a great vice presidential contender for Donald Trump. She should definitely be on the short list If nothing else. She schooled Dana Bash on everything that's going on at the border. She did a great job. And I'm glad she said Dana Bash on CNN straight. Take a listen to some of this.
10: There is real concern that things between Texas and the federal government could turn violent. Are you worried about that?
16: Well, that's why I went to the border on Friday. Uh, I went there to see with my own eyes what was going on and recognizing that that I am, as governor of South Dakota, I'm commander in chief of my National Guard. That's a heavy responsibility that sits on our shoulders. We have the same responsibility for those families and those soldiers that the president should feel, feel for our military and how he engages them. Uh, so we don't know where this will escalate. We don't know what the president will do. We don't know how he'll try to manipulate our soldiers and if he will even defend our country uh, from this invasion that is happening so that's why I went there um, I'm all in to protect our state sovereignty I deal every day Dana in South Dakota with the effects of this open border we have those Mexican cartels that have a presence on my nine tribal reservations where those communities are suffering mm-hmm. from the drug trafficking and the human trafficking that's going through my tribal reservations where I don't have any jurisdiction uh, I can't go there and help bring peace to their community I can't help protect them from these so, Mexican cartels so are you worried about violence in South Dakota facilitating unrest are you worried I am about concerned about violence? about violence because people in South Dakota live with violence every single day are you worried about violence
10: on the border between and my
16: tribes have
10: asked state forces national guard forces well, state forces and federal
16: What I what I do as governor is I start looking at the long range effects of every single decision and what I'm prepared to do. So that's why I went to the border on Friday was to look at there could be a violent situation, but there also could be areas where we need to take legal action as governors to protect our states. I'm willing to put all of that on the table to make sure that we're protecting the freedoms that we've always had ever since this country was founded. That's my responsibility and why I get up every single day.
3: Good. And you know what, it, it, the only person, and by the way, sorry, that was my, my stupid Waze app came on and was giving me alerts about traffic or something. I don't know what the, what the heck that was. Uh, I, I thought my phone was muted on do not disturb. I tend to put it on do not disturb. But anyway, so if you heard that dinging, sorry about that. Uh, she's right, by the way. She's absolutely right. The only person who should be worried about the border situation turning violent is Joe Biden because it's such a disaster for him right now, politically speaking, that if, if America looks at the United States of America taking a bold stand against the state of Texas. It's show over for Joe Biden. Show over. All right, we got a lot to talk about as we conclude the show before I turn it over to the great one, Mark Levin. Seth Meyers gets schooled by Bill Maher on the media and how you can't trust them. Don't go. Thanks for listening
2: to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and the Odyssey app.
3: Can you trust the media? Of course not. We know the answer because all these corporations own them and they're there for propaganda purposes. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. Our fourth and final hour on a busy, busy Monday. Uh, Mayorkas will hopefully get impeached. Good. That's excellent news. And um, Seth MacFarlane, whose shows I think are great. I mean, I love Family Guy. I love the movie Ted. I think he's a very, very creative and very funny guy. Uh, Was on with Bill Maher. And they had a very tense exchange over trustworthiness in the media. And Bill Maher is, is right on this point. I mean, look, Bill Maher's wrong on a lot of things, but he's right on a lot of things. And he's right on this point. Take a listen.
15: There's this there's this, this thing we take for granted now that the, the journalist who did the work gets to have their uh, uh, piece put on the same shelf as everyone else's spur of the moment. Bullshit. You seem to trust journalists more than I do.
14: I trust certain journalists, yeah. Yeah, I do. T- I, certain ones I do. Yeah. Not a lot. And Not a lot? I, no.
4: And
15: I'm, everything I read, it, whatever source, it's only half the truth. They print, they print the narrative, they don't print truth. That's a they, generalization, though, is it? Well, it, it is, really? because it's, it's generally true
3: he's exactly yes right they print the narrative that's what they do they print the narrative not the truth and the reason for that of course is because the 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 goal of the corporate media is is to help perpetuate a narrative that's what they do it's to perpetuate a narrative they don't want the truth that's not what they're about they are looking to push a certain narrative to get their political objectives met you know that i mean obviously we all know that the, the the everything in this election that's coming out, the entire issue about this re-election between Trump and Biden is Joe Biden is trying to make it. Trump is scary and, and bad and mean and will destroy democracy. And and it's like the question I asked you earlier. Tell me what you like about Biden without mentioning Donald Trump's name. Peter Doocy reported in South Carolina that um, Joe Biden's entire stump speech and the entire sum speech that they're going to focus on the campaign is entirely about Trump. It's not about his accomplishments, not about his record. It's entirely, entirely about Trump. This is from Fox News Sunday.
0: Both President Biden and former President Trump cruised to victories in New Hampshire. Now the eyes of 2024 campaigns shift toward the South Carolina primary. The GOP will vote February 24th. But the Democrats moved up their primary date to this coming Saturday. Fox News White House correspondent Peter Ducey joins us live from Columbia, South Carolina, where the president's traveling to rally support ahead of the vote. Hey, Peter.
9: Shannon, South Carolina saved President Biden in 2020. He was as low as primary candidates get, but limped in here, then won. Now he is hoping to use this state's diverse primary base as a springboard for a second term.
4: If I were smart... I'd say thank you and leave.
9: He stayed with a pitch to South Carolina's black Democratic primary voters.
4: More black Americans have health insurance than ever in history. A promise made and a promise
9: kept. Both Biden and RNC chair Ronna McDaniel believe November's GOP nominee will be Donald Trump.
7: I'm looking at the math and the path going forward. And I don't see it for Nikki Haley.
9: Haley, not happy.
7: I let her know how disappointed I was.
9: An RNC resolution was floated and pulled this week to declare Trump the party's presumptive nominee. He didn't want Meanwhile, it. Trump he is now taking it. incoming from Haley and President Biden for the same thing.
3: Let's just understand. Trump said, I want to win it the old fashioned way. I want to win it from votes. And he will. Maywill isn't doesn't, doesn't need an RNC resolution. He doesn't need the RNC to do anything. He, he doesn't he didn't need them in 2016, he doesn't need them now. Like if anything, they've just been they've been a thorn in his side.
9: Statement Trump made that Nikki Haley was in charge of capital security January 6th.
3: Have you
4: noticed? He's a little confused these days.
7: I think he was a bit confused, and so we'll let that pass. He
4: apparently can't tell the difference between Nikki Haley and Nancy Pelosi.
9: Trump insists he's good.
4: I'll tell you what, I feel sharper now than I did
9: 20 years ago. I don't know, know, it's probably not true. But Trump remains the Democrats' top target.
4: You're the reason Donald Trump is a loser. And you're the reason we're going to win and beat him
9: again. We didn't hear President Biden say Nikki Haley's name once last night, even here in his home state and in her home state. Uh, His campaign speech has been retooled. It is now being road tested. And the really, really fiery lines have nothing to do with anything Biden did in office or would do with the second term. They are all about Trump. Shannon, they're all about Trump. That's the whole
3: strategy. It's all they have. That's the strategy. It's just to scare you about Donald Trump, period. They don't have they don't have an agenda that they can win on. They don't have an agenda they're running on. It's entirely can we scare you about Donald Trump? That's it. Because if they run on their record, they're toast. They are toast. All right, listen. Speaking of toast, go give your fat dog some toast. Well, that was a story we did r- earlier in the show today. Pennsylvania has America's fattest dogs, and uh, I, I don't exactly know the reason. I think probably the dogs are stress eaters, like I am. That's probably what happens. But uh, just remember something though, and this is this is this is a good stress relief a laugh. Thursday night, Parks Casino Comedy Night. And also don't forget our big event coming up with Terry Hayes, the author of The Year of the Locust, which is going to be next week, Wednesday, February 7th. Get your tickets by going to 1210WPHT.com today. So between the Comedy Night on Thursday, the Speaker Series event Wednesday night, we are going to have some real fun together. I hope you will join us. I hope you will take the time to come out. Get your tickets for the Comedy Night by going to ParkSCasino.com slash comedy. Get your tickets for the Terry Hayes event at 1210WPHT com Have a great rest of your night. The great one, Mark Levin, is up next. Thank you for listening.
2: Richfield weekday afternoons, three to seven. Talk radio, twelve ten. WPHT, and on the Free Odyssey app.